Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattledge and Broadcasting premiere podcast, Damn You Hollywood, and here's your host, Robert Winfrey, yay! For the record, because you're using the virtual background, yes, it amuses me whenever you lean just a little bit too far back, and (laughs) you suddenly become more spectral. (laughs) <laughs> yes i i uh I'm, I'm in and out of the <laughs> i'm in and out of the scene uh, hello everyone to those of you watching live or listening after the fact we're very grateful to have you here i'm robert winfrey that is mark radlich can i tell incredible you about shrinking man oh yeah mm. um can i tell you you know this past week leading into the bad guys uh i re-aired our um you you came on a long road to ruin during one of Sean's hiatuses to do Madagascar, mm-hmm. and then we re-aired the Kung Fu Panda three, how I train your, how to train your dragon two, uh, but in addition to that, I've I've done a whole a, a couple of more re-airs recently, Deepwater Horizon, Inferno, the uh, mm. uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I'll tell you, it's made me a little misty eyed for a couple of different reasons. Part of it is. <laughs> Part of it is um, just like it's listening back to our old shows. Like we have this kind of down pat now. The only time there's there's even really a wrench in the works is if somebody else comes on. We have to sort of adjust to the new person. Like with Amber when she came on for Secrets of Dumbledore. But when especially when it's yeah, just so being... to to all of you people who want to come on the show, we don't want you. Yeah, no, at all. <laughs> um... <laughs> Understand so... the sarcasm there, people. We do deeply love and appreciate our guests. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I turn into the diplomatic one. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's it's different when it's just me and you. Um, even even this past year, like if you think about 
the couple of ones that we've done with, with this person or that person or for that long stretch that Alexis was on versus when you and I are just sitting there talking about, you know, Munich, the uh, the edge of war and how natural of a conversation that was like that was almost out of pattern for us. But you and I have such good rapport now after doing this for so long. It, we didn't need to do that. Um, we have to be more structured when other people come on is the point that I was making. Yeah. But I was thinking about listening back to those shows. Two things occurred to me. One, how much I was going to the drive-in with my family back then. And I had to talk to Melissa about that. I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, <laughs> we used to do stuff as a family. Um, what happened to us? Uh, which is something we, we are trying to correct now. Uh, when I realized that after hearing like successive reviews in a row of, I episodes. saw this with my kids, and I saw this with my kids, and I saw this with my kids. And I missed this part of the movie because I was dealing with my children in the fighting in the back seat. <laughs> right. The other thing is, it's fun to listen how the show evolved over the years. Like, go back to the 2014 ones where we did The Amazing Spider-Man and Maleficent, and it was just, <laughs> we, we were just, like, people talking. We didn't have a format. It was, yeah. what did you think of the movie? Uh, we, I, there's reviews that we've done where I start talking about Rotten Tomatoes and money stuff at the, in the first 10 minutes of the show. Like, we would just talk. It, but I, I kind of, one of the things I love about this show is, especially if you take the long view, mm -hmm. like, we are the editorial process in real time. Mm. Like, we, we try stuff. And, okay, that kind of works. And maybe this is something we can do. And let's see if we, how we refine it. Yeah. And... Uh, all the way leading up until the, to the smooth clockwork efficiency <laughs> that we have today. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. Um, I some I kind of miss the Wild West days. Like I, I wouldn't trade it. I I like what we're doing now um, because it does open us up to a little bit more deep dive analysis and 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 film discussion, the kind of stuff that I really enjoy. Um, whereas I go look at some of those shows; and they were so freeform we were just sort of reacting to things. Also our friendship, if I may say has grown over time. So you go back and listen to the early shows and there's a lot of me, there's a lot of flirting between me and you. Um, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of us kind that's of poking at each to, other. One way to put it. It is what it is. Um, but there, there, there was definitely a lot of poking at each other. There's, I didn't, I didn't always get you, and so like I, I would say stuff, and you would react away, and I'd be like, "What the hell?" And so, I, and then, and because it was new, I'd be like, "Oh, that's fun. I'm gonna poke him now." And now, and you were getting used to me, and you were just like, you know, your your line from last week of "Why are you the way you are?" It's a, there's a lot of that back then. Just like you, legitimately befuddled by me, and so it's just, yeah, I, I just, okay, I sure. wanted to. We're talking about the Northman tonight. I don't know how long this is even going to take to do. I'm happy for you because this is one of those rare instances where we get to talk about an adult film. And I don't mean adult pornographic. I mean adult, like, oh, not I, for children. Yeah, I. there's been such... The last, like, two years of film release. Uh, I think if you go back and you start looking at it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you and I have talked on occasion about how much I kind of hate the... I, I lament the the loss of the middle ground of like big yeah. budget of uh, like blockbuster films. Mm -hmm. You know, I nowadays everything is some part of a connected universe. It's some sequel, prequel, spinoff, fourth did, iteration. Did you see the picture of the tweet that I sent out today? That yeah, the, the, that like about a dozen or so summer releases are are 
remakes, sequels, or whatever. Yep. Not, not, not a not an unknown property in the bunch. Uh, yeah, I'm starting to become more and more uh, amenable or accepting of the notion that we're living in a post-creativity world. <laughs> uh, again, I'm not all the way there. There's plenty of other people who feel much more strongly about this than I do, but I mm-hmm. can see where I can see their point of view. But I, yeah, again, you and I have kind of lamented the loss of, you know, again, the middle ground of filmmaking. I mean, if I might be so bold, if we were to go back in time to the 90s, late mm-hmm. 90s, the Michael Bay films, and I don't mean that as a pejorative, I mean Michael Bay would have an idea, or he, mm-hmm. would, you know, hi, he would find a script he wanted to do. And it wouldn't be a, again, it's not a sequel, it's not a reboot. It's a standalone property. It's accessible to slightly, you know, it's not something you want to take your small children to necessarily, but it's something that, you know, younger audiences can be, can gain enjoyment out of. It was, but reflect, it was reflected of the golden age of movie making where they just made movies and nobody was yeah. worried about, nobody was worried about intellectual property. They just yeah. wanted to make, they just wanted to make stories that the average person could go and lose themselves in for an hour or two. And the long and the short of that, to bring it back around to the original point, uh, the last like two-ish years, there's been a very, very stark divide between mm-hmm. movies for children and movies not for children. And the vast majority of big releases are for children. Mm-hmm. And I was, <clears throat> if you feel insulted by that, please don't. I like stuff that's made for kids on occasion like that you can still find value in it you can still find entertainment you can still you can easily find deeper meaning stuff that's made for children is not the worst thing in the world right we we gave a glowing review of sonic yeah like that's a that's very clearly a kid's movie right but it's it's so much of what comes out these days it's so much like mm-hmm. it, it it's something like again if we if you were to go down like all films released in a year. How many of them are for children? It's probably a minority, believe it or not, if we go by total releases, right? Like everything released in right. a calendar year. But how about everything that gets a wide release? How about everything that actually sees a degree of financial success? Yeah. Like the uh, Look, I'm, I'm going to say this again, and I'll say it again in a couple of weeks when we talk about Doctor Strange. The MCU movies are made for children. Now... You grown man, hang on. You grown man out there can still enjoy them, and I'm not going to insult you for that. But understand what's they're going made on. for general audiences. When, I, you and I, we 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 bat we bat that phrase around. They're made for children, but let's be a little bit more specific. They are made for general audiences that include children and passive film watchers. So it is a it is pejorative when we say it's made for children. We're we're calling the collective masses of people who watch films passively children which i think we you and i can do that and we can kind of snicker about it but to be fair to people and to want and to want them to want to listen to us talk (laughs) general audiences would be the most appropriate term well again part of the okay let me let me couch this in a couple of different ways different points in the history of the mcu to be very specific Mm -hmm. have been aimed at different demographics Sure. I think phase one and phase two were very clearly aimed at general audiences to to your point. Like we're going to we're going to get the hardcore fans happy because they're going to see something they have a deep attachment to. 
and we're going to make these broad stories. Uh, they're going to be very entertaining, and we will you build our audience up. Once you get towards the end of the Infinity Saga, I would very much argue that these are now not just general audience movies. You see, for me, this is kind of a ratings thing, believe it or not. A general audience film is uh, something you can take... Or the target demographic is, say, 10 to 27, mm-hmm. right? This is the general audience demographic. Older than that will go, can go see it. Younger than that will go see it. Like, But that's the general swath of people. Then you get to the point where you start trying to... When you start... The problem is when you start trying to lower the lower end of the age demographic you're appealing to mm-hmm. you can't increase the upper end yeah like, there... this is not the, if you're trying to appeal to this group of people mm-hmm. and you want to include this p- group of people down here this has to come down you can't just expand right. them what you're what you're talking about without maybe even realizing you're talking about it is there's the people that want to make the films and now you're talking 10 to 30 but then there's the, the corporate people that want to sell the toys and they need and they need that demographic to hit a they little need the bit lower. Yeah, they need the eight year olds. Five to eight, yeah. You know the the twelve inch dolls <laughs> that they sell in the stores now. They need yep. to sell those, and it's only five to eight year olds that are going to play with them. Possibly yeah, and... a little younger, but that's about that's. I I've, I figure when I was buying those for Jonas and Lily, it was four to seven ish. Yeah, and. And I understand the reality of this. And I understand, mm-hmm. look, if you're doing something like in the MCU, you absolutely need to be able to merchant to properly get your value out of every uh, revenue stream you possibly can. I get this. Mm-hmm. I don't even object to it in some kind of weird way. Like I, This is not me going boo capitalism. I like capitalism. Sure. My issue tends to be that that's now everything. Yeah. And... And if you're wondering why are we talking about this, because this relates to the movie that we're talking about tonight. It it really does. I I trust you'll bear with us for a second here. Um, I mean, even the Batman, right? You may not be comfortable taking your five-year-old to see the Batman. But I would wager you'd be fine with an eight-year-old. Sure. I brought an eight-year-old. Yeah, I mean, again, you go long, you go younger than that, and they just can't do the three-hour runtime. I mean, I could barely do the three-hour runtime on that thing. But uh-huh. not to revisit that discussion of that movie. But this was, and look, you and Andrew, and even I mean, I didn't enjoy the movie, but I had positive things to say about its film craft. Yeah, but it's that movie tried so hard to do the to, to walk an impossible line. Yeah, like you can't be a dark, gritty, intense, uh, interesting movie and appeal to eight-year-olds. Right, you can't do it. And I remember, I, I remember Jonas's reaction. He was like, "Did you like that?" Meanwhile, I'm like vibrating and crying. You, you, you are you know? sobbing with joy. Like, this, yeah, this was, this was better than losing my virginity. Yeah, I was like, this is the short of the children being born. This was the happiest moment of my life at that point. And my son's like, but why? Today in the car, we I took him to go see the bad guys. And um, on the ride home, you know, he listens to all of our shows. And he was like, I, <laughs> your son, 
I, I hope, I sincerely hope you have you have already started a therapy account at the bank for your for your son. Well, it's so funny because he goes. So I listen to the Morbius review. That's how he starts this conversation. He listens. Okay. He goes. I listen to your Morbius review. You guys sound like you hated it. I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong. I did. And he, like, <laughs> and he goes, I thought it was the best thing ever. And I'm like, you're allowed to. You're eight. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. And and there there was a discussion. And the reason why I brought this up is I said, you know, Jonas. You're allowed to like things that people don't like, and you're allowed yeah. to hate things that people do like. It's yep. okay to have discourse. It's not okay to force people to like things you do or vice versa, but you are absolutely allowed to and have try your own really and try really hard not to insult people for their differing opinions about yeah. entertainment media. Again, that's right. a, that's one of those things I had to learn the hard way in some respects because I <laughs> our earlier shows like to bring the to bring oh my god up. yeah yeah I I'm glad you said it or I would have this no, I I can I can admit that I was horribly insulting to <laughs> boy you brain dead pain eating yeah. morons. <laughs> Yep, a lot of that. Um, just the fights that we would get into because, like, I, I would, I would say, like, yeah, it was fine. It was, it was, it was the kind of thing that I continue to say. But at that time, you were like, "No, it's garbage," and I'm going to bang my shoe on this table and let you all know it. Uh, to, to finish up the thing with with Jonas, he was like, "I loved Morbius. I don't understand what you guys hated about it." And I was like, Jonas. You got to understand, you're an eight-year-old boy. You're going to respond to things like an eight-year-old child. You don't have the intellectual capacity to deconstruct film the way that a 45-year-old man does. And so you're going to have a different opinion on it. And I'm glad it appealed to you. I love the fact that I take you to the movies and it brings you joy and it brings us closer together. But boy, are we not going to like the same things always. You're not me and I'm not you. And he was like, all right, I get that, I guess. It just... I wish you I wish you liked more of the things that I do. And I'm like, boy, so does Twitter. Give it another few years. <laughs> well, not only that, but I mean, like how much of just focusing on the nerd culture, how much of how much of people out there want the validation of other people liking what they like and get mad when it doesn't happen? I, I may have posited my theory about this before on the on the show. Mm hmm. But I think I have a rough idea about why nerds are so self-destructive. Mm -hmm. And this is something that might go away with enough time, like over a long enough time period. Mm -hmm. But here's kind of my thought about this. And I'll be brief and then we'll get into the movie. Yeah. Anytime you come up liking something that is not popular. And let me be very, very clear about this. Mm -hmm. This is this does not have to be the stereotypical geek thing. If you love football and you go to school and you go to a school full of nerds, like very intellectual people, you will be the outsider. Right. You will be the person mocked. You will be the person made fun of. And it's a, now, again, if we kind of aggregate this out, more often than not, it's people who like comic books or certain cartoons or anime and you know, the, the markets are not that big. So you like what you like. And then there's a bunch of other people who kind of piss on it and you get very defensive about this. This is, this becomes your reaction, whatever it is, whatever it happens to be. Again, I don't care what it is. If your formative years are spent on the defensive about the thing you like, this becomes your default. Even when you meet someone who likes the same thing you like, imagine for, for a moment, Mark, if you will, since I don't mind putting the shoe on the other foot here, you, as a young man, love American football. 
Yep. It is your favorite sport. You know the teams. You know statistics. You are up to date on everything. You are also the only person that you're aware of in your school who does. Everyone else is more into intellectual or philosophical pursuits and whatever, whatever it happens to be. So you don't have a lot of friends right. uh, that share this interest. And because you like American football, you have a favorite team. For the sake of argument, let's say you like the New England Patriots. How about I'm from New York? Let's go with the Jets. No one likes the Jets, Mark. Giants. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. I don't even think anyone likes the Giants. All for fuck's sake. Okay, okay, Giants. (laughs) And you like the Giants. They're your team. And you finally meet someone else who is a football fan. Mm -hmm. And you're both a little bit furtive about this because maybe you go to the same high school. Like, oh, you like football. Well, that's great. I like football. And you start to bond. Well, inevitably, the question arises, so who's your favorite team? And you say, well, I like the New York Giants. And the other person says, well, I like the Dallas Cowboys or the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, rather than simply share your... The fact that you like so many of the same things you now get into a fight because you are both coded to be defensive about this. How could you like X? You should like Y. How could you support the Eagles? They suck, and their stadium's a hellhole, and their fans hucked batteries and snowballs at Santa Claus. (laughs) And well, then there's the Giants, and you guys had Eli Manning as your quarterback for how many years? And boy, you get the lesser Manning. Doesn't that say a whole hell of a lot about your organization? And so on and so forth. And it's very easy to do this with comic books as well. Boy, you sure do love Spider-Man, right? He's your favorite hero. And you meet someone, and their favorite hero is Batman. Right. And now what are we doing? We're arguing again, because this is what we've been designed to do. You're so used to defending what you love from people who don't love the same thing. When you meet someone who loves the same general thing with a few differences, you don't celebrate the differences. You attack... You don't celebrate the similarities. You attack the differences because that's kind of what you're coded to do. Now, again, I think over a long enough timeline, this will sort itself out. But I, that's kind of my rough take on why so much there, there's so much contention and so much stupid tribalism over things that have no bearing on anything. Yeah, all you idiots out there clamoring for one professional wrestling company or another. I'm looking at you, too. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's just it's funny you mentioned I don't want to get off on a tangent about this, but I, I think about like how it took no time at all for people to declare themselves 
stalwart soldiers in the WWE and AEW armies. All right. And it was like, really? Because when you think about think about the AEW thing, this isn't a, this isn't a content issue. This is more of how quickly we're willing to throw ourselves into a cult. Yeah, because AEW shows up, and a month later, you have diehard fans. How do you have a diehard fan of something that's only been in existence for a month? And given how AEW started, has only run four shows. Right, and it's like, but but people will murder you if you say anything bad about AEW, and it's like, it's it, how it got that much loyalty that quickly. I mean, and there's a discussion to be had about well, the young. There's a lot of antipathy Cody, Ring towards, of Honor, you know. Well, there's a lot of antipathy towards the WWE for some right. very good reasons. Yeah, but no, I, no, I'm with antagonism. you. Yeah, but that's my point. Like the need to belong has now driven people past the point of embedding within <laughs> cult reason, embedding within culture, and gone right to cultism. Yeah, like that's, we, that's the scariest part of living in today's world right now, is how desperately people want to be in a cult. <laughs> like, how, we, that is a conversation in and of itself. I We have become so atomized and so isolated from each other, and I don't think mm -hmm. we've... I don't, five years ago, no one fully appreciated this, but the ability to find like-minded people very easily mm -hmm. wound up isolating us from people in reality. Mm -hmm. And that cognitive dissonance is causing some very, very dangerous habits to form. A lot of people. Which brings us to the Northmen. It really does, because... You know, throwing yourself into a into a desire for self destructive revenge is very similar. <laughs> and I'm not. I mean, you, you laugh, but there's a lot of similar pathology there. No, I'm with you. It. I honestly, we started with. Gosh, I miss us, Robert. I, I miss our show. I miss the show we used to do. I miss our relationship in the beginning when we had that NRE going on, that new relationship energy. And here we are. You know, gosh, like you realize we've been doing the show almost as long as I've been married. I got married yeah. in 2009. I did, I, I think I did the original iteration of this with Jeff in whatever year Man of Steel came out. What was that, 2012, 2013? Uh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but sure. And then Amazing Spider-Man was 2014, if I remember correctly, and that's when yeah, we I, started this. I think we started this show proper, like, because originally it was just a couple of, like, debates, somewhat moderated by me, like, it no, was, it was very... just like, no, 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 I go back and listen to that show. It was one. It was me and Pat fighting about Spider-Man and yeah. you moderating. And then it was like, this was fun. Hey, anyone want to talk about Maleficent? And yep. we were off and running after that. Yeah, uh, again, 14 and 15, we were... Uh, we didn't keep a rigorous schedule. No. The correct way to phrase that. We were like... Six I was only focusing on the summer at that point. Yeah, we did like, I don't know, maybe... What would it average out to one show a month? Like we maybe did 12 to 14 shows a year. Yeah, we would we would go hot and heavy between May and the and about mid August because we used to also do an end of summer show if you remember. Yeah, and then we do once a couple we get, around Christmas. It, once we get to like halfway through sixteen mm -hmm. and the and the start, I blame the MCU for this mm -hmm. because they started releasing the Avengers movies earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier. It was two things. It was because if you'll remember, initially there wasn't a there wasn't a TV podcast either. No. We um we started essentially it was like. This week we're doing Civil War. Next week we're doing Daredevil. 
because of Netflix shows. Yeah. Um, and then we started doing so much television, I had to create a whole separate format. Uh, but but like I said, this was, it was just like, oh, we're just going to talk about the big summer shows. And the summer got bigger and bigger and it started bleeding into, you know, it was yeah, bleeding they, into... They started, rele- they started releasing big movies at least once a month. Yeah, it was in March. I, I think, I want to say like Deadpool and Logan were kind of the start of that, where it was like the summer was bleeding one way into March and it was bleeding yeah. the other way into, into November. <laughs> into November, yeah, it was it was almost impossible to kind of. At which point, all we could do was throw up our hands and go, "Well, okay, here we go." Right, and then I think probably 2017 is when we started to go weekly. Yep. I know there was a there was a period where I, where because financially I I just couldn't afford to go to the movies at one point. And that was I, that might have been actually been 2017 because I think that was the year we did Logan, where it was like I'm taking off until Logan comes out. Yeah. But then I want to say after from Logan all the way to now, we've gone almost every single week we've done something and then with the and then with the the pandemic um we started incorporating streaming movies it's so funny i'm I'm just going to the plot synopsis or, or the introduction of the movie and the plot synopsis when i'm done with this but at the same time it is so easy right now to go seven days a week with this like if we want it really if, could be if we just wanted to talk, if we wanted to be like the critically acclaimed guys and just talk about all the movies released in a single week, but I wanted to do it, continue the format that we're doing it now, where it's either we do two shows, one show, or three shows, depending on what we're how we're talking about them, and and are they in theaters or are they streaming? Is there money or isn't there? I could conceivably do three and four just movie podcasts a week. Then you yeah. throw TV in there, like before you even get to sports or or music. We could just be weekly doing up to six or seven TV and movie podcasts per week with the amount of content that's out there. And at the same time, I'm cutting shows. Like I'm, I'm like cutting back. I, I'm trying to cut this down to maybe two or three shows a week, minimum, like period. But doing that, boy, is there a lot of things we're not talking about for that, re- you know, because of that. And it's just like, I bring it up because in the natural course of how this evolved with, with an absence of anything else to do in my life at the time, all I did was want to talk about the movies that are out there. And then suddenly I'm doing this seven days a week. Suddenly I'm doing the seven days a week and I'm doing two shows in a day. Suddenly I'm doing this two, seven days a week and I'm doing three shows in a day. And I'm keeping Robert up, you know, till midnight talking about, you know, Mank. And uh, <laughs> and we're putting suits on, and we're like in costumes and shit. Which, by the I, way, I'm gonna need you to get a birthday hat, like a like a like a party hat for uh, June second when we talk about um, we own this city. That's my birthday. I know. <laughs> All right, the Northman, go. I'll f- I will come up with something to do for you. <laughs> Sounds good. So the Northman. Directed by Robert Eggers, who is rapidly becoming a favorite of mine. Uh, This is an epic historical action drama. I would add into that it's a little bit surrealistic. One sec. I got to go AFK for just a second, okay? I will go through through this. So it starts in AD 895, where we're introduced to our protagonist, the Prince Amleth. His father, Ethan Hawke. Uh, he has a name, but I'm going to butcher a bunch of these names anyway. I'm not even, I just don't want to try with that. Uh, his father and his father returns. He brings with him his, it says brother Fjolnir, but 
the way Fjolnir is described, I'm I imagine there's um he, they're like half brothers rather than full. Uh, so we're introduced to again the young prince, the brother. We meet the uh, Ethan Hawke's wife for this. That's uh, Nicole Kidman, who I would destroy that name too. I'm not going to try. She's going to be Nicole Kidman. <laughs> Uh, he comes back and he's ready to try and kind of get his son to start growing up a little bit. Weird ritual. Uh, as the as the father and son are leaving said weird ritual, they're attacked by Fjolnir and his men. They kill Ethan Hawke, uh, chase off Amleth. They think that they've killed him, but he escapes, vowing to save his father and avenge his mother by killing his uncle. Like you do. <laughs> Fast forward a bunch of years later, Amleth is now a berserker, uh, working with another kind of roving band of Vikings. But after they attack, I kept wanting them to. I kept wanting them to cut away to a D and D table where someone's rolling for initiative. <laughs> Every like I, uh, it's fun to see the berserker like thing like come to life like that. Because, but my only way of relating to it was as a class of warrior while playing D and D. Okay. I mean, it, also to be clear, Berserk is a subclass for Barbarians. Yes, not sir. a very good one. Hey, I played a Berserker. I, I liked it. I like. I liked having the, the ability to do the Berserker rage. Please continue. In, in which edition? Hang on, now I have to ask. This okay, question. so this is the mid to late nineties that I'm playing D and D. Okay, so yeah, you're like third, maybe, maybe three five. Okay. Uh, anyway, after they attack a village in the land of Rus, which will later become presumably some part of Russia or Ukraine or something else like that. Um, but after they uh, destroy this village and the young children are burned alive in a house and many of the women are sexually assaulted, most of the adult men are killed or sold into slavery, he gets a brief vision uh, about how he's running away from his destiny and he needs to go back and face this head on. He then overhears that some of the slaves are being sold to Fjolnir, who has left where they started the movie in Norway and has fled to the backwater wasteland of Iceland. That's how they describe it, not me. <laughs> uh, so he cuts his hair, brands himself a slave, and wants to go get close to his uncle. Uh, while there, while they are traveling, he meets Anya Taylor Joy, the witch Olga. Uh, they eventually do. They eventually find their way to Fjolnir's camp, and he's not really. He's a chieftain now. He's not a king. He was driven out by another king. Now he's a sheep herder, with some men at arms and a bunch of slaves, and a new son that would be Almuth's half brother. And he has a son that came from a previous encounter of some variety. Uh, ultimately, Almeth and Olga are among slaves who are who stick around there. He goes on a little bit of a vision quest. He encounters a uh, a witch who has the head of his old uh, uh, someone from the, the previous iteration of his family's court. He gets some more advice about where to go next and what to do he claims a magic sword 
He saves his younger brother during a what looked like a game of Hurley. It's not Hurley, um, <laughs> but that's the closest I can get. And and culminates. Like, it, was like, it was like an ancient version of field hockey. It felt like. Yeah, that's kind of what Hurley is. It's an Irish sport. Okay. Uh, he called this particular game culminates with him beating Hafthor Bjornsson to death via headbutts. <laughs> which. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård is either much, much larger than I think he is, or they did some really impressive trick shots because Hafthor Bjornsson is legitimately like 6'8". He is an enormous man. I wouldn't know where to find his height. It's not in his wiki, though, which is kind of frustrating. Uh, It should be. Yeah, he's 6'9". Alexander Skarsgård? Oh, Skarsgård, no. Yeah, Bjornsson is 6'9". No, no, him that he's he's a professional athlete. Um I that was that would have been easy. Uh, I'm going to look up I'm going to see if I can find Skarsgård's uh height. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he winds up headbutting him to death, but in the process of saving the youngest son of the queen and king or you know, chieftain and chiefess, he is rewarded with a position of authority over other slaves, and he can take Olga to be his wife because Olga's been kind of fending off uh, Fjolnir's advances with, well, it's that time of the month. Okay, it's not six a joke. 6'4", by the way. Okay, so he's legitimately one of the taller actors you're going to find, is mm-hmm. uh, Skarsgård. Most actors are a lot shorter than you think because it makes things easier for filming. Yeah, like I think Tom Cruise is like 5'3". Yeah, I mean, everyone joke. We, we joke about Tom Cruise, but I, I mean this legitimately. I mean, Edge is fond of telling the story. Like, as a professional wrestler, Edge is an average-sized professional wrestler. Little on the taller side, but, you know, he's not huge. Mm-hmm. Then he got to Hollywood, and you started making television shows and whatnot, and, oh, I'm, like, six, seven inches taller than everyone else. Yeah. Like, at Sylvester Stallone, when you see him in Rocky compared to, like, Burgess Meredith and... <laughs> Bert Young and uh, Talia Shire, he looks like he's like seven feet tall, and then he stands next to Hulk Hogan in Rocky well, Three, and you uh, and you fairness, suddenly realize how short Sylvester Stallone really is. In fairness, that's a gimmick shot as well. Hogan's not that much. Well, actually, at that point in time, Hogan was still a couple of inches taller than he is now. But mm-hmm. it, again, Stallone coming up to here on Hulk mm-hmm. is gim- is a gimmick shot. Either but, way, Stallone is shorter than people than he is perceived to be, oh, especially yeah. in his early action stuff. Oh, yeah. anyway. Back to the north, then. So he st- he starts using his magic sword to kill some of the men around the camp and drive Fjolnir into a bit of a crazy, into a bit of insanity and paranoia. He talks with his mother, reveals who he is, and she says, "But don't you understand? I never wanted you anyway. Your father was a terrible person who." I I believe I have footage of that actual shot. Oh, it was all me, James. It's always been me. The author of all your pain. I've been dying to use that lately. Wasn't quite that, but (laughs) also how how dare that movie waste Christoph Waltz like that? (laughs) Needs to be said again. I'll I'll wait my turn to talk about that scene, but it was almost that level of the credit to Nicole Kidman for being able to pull it off, but she kind of goes full Disney villain in that scene. Yeah, again, we can talk about that one specifically. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he winds up escaping. Uh, he kills Fjolnir's oldest son and steals his heart. And uh, 
winds up giving a a heart back to Fjolnir in exchange for Olga getting to run away free. He's captured. He's eventually rescued by ravens because that's the spirit of his father. Olga saves him from where he's fallen after being tortured. They recover and they kind of decide, you know what? This is not worth it. Let's just get out of here. You've got kinsmen we can go to. Like We don't need this crap. As they're boarding the ship to sail away, uh, he gets a vision that Olga is pregnant, and she, which she confirms. And he then decides, you know what? If he thinks we're alive, Fjolnir, he'll hunt us. And that's not just you and me anymore. Now I have to worry about children. And you need to be safe. So you go to my kinsmen. They will take care of you. And I'm going to go deal with this. He swims back to shore. It's kind of a death sentence, but I'll yell it. My... Eggers has a wonderful gift for historical accuracy most of the time. Getting your clothes wet at this period of history could be a death sentence. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Move on. Moving on. So he returns to Fjolnir's camp, kills his remaining men, frees the slaves, kills his mother and his younger half-brother after being attacked by both of them. Fjolnir then challenges him to ritual combat in the uh, on the sli- on the slopes of Mount Doom. <laughs> uh, Amleth agrees. They fight. They kill each other. And Amleth and and we end the movie with Amleth being given a vision of his children being raised happy and healthy by Olga, and he is escorted to the gates of Valhalla by a Valkyrie. All right, I like this movie a lot. Um, this was really intense. I saw it late at night. So I, I so... saw, I saw this movie, uh, cause I normally try to do these things on Tuesday because it's mm-hmm. a $5 thing for my local theater. Turns out the only, the first showing today would have been at three, which mm-hmm. screws up everything else I do in the afternoons. So I had to go see it at nine 30 last night was the starting time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I went after work. I went with my, I, I've, I've adopted this movie buddy. <laughs> who um, on my work weekends, because I work every other weekend, uh, me and her go to the movies. And I went with her. We usually go get dinner, and then I take her to the movies. And um, so we we usually catch like a 10 o'clock show. And because I'm exhausted, <laughs> <laughs> um, I sometimes will drift in and out of these movies that we see. And this one, uh, in the beginning, I was having a hard time kind of staying focused. But as it progressed... Once this got, gets going, man, it's yeah, just, it's, it's it's right it's, here and just never lets go. Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it like a roller coaster ride. It wasn't like you didn't see ambulance, but like ambulance was one where yeah. it just once once they literally got in the ambulance, it just never stops and it's really intense. This was a different kind of intensity. Um, you know, we talked, we spent the first twenty ish minutes or so talking about the state of film. The reason why we did that tangent, other than I just wanted to wax nostalgic with my friend is how cowardly film is made now. Um, oh, you are. I was so happy 
walking which is weird to say about this movie right because this is not yeah. a happy film no I, I get it though like i i get you i get what you're saying because like, that's I, what i'm saying i walked i walked out of this and went that's the first time all year i've seen a movie for adults not only that but when i say like cowardly there's always there's always this sense of <clears throat> if you do this will we lose people this yeah. movie this movie is very punk rock in that sense of it is in your face. It is exactly everything it wants to be. No, I'm not saying it's perfect, nor am I saying everyone should love it. But it exists as a movie unafraid to just be what the artist who made it envisioned it to be unapologetically. That's what I'm oh, yeah. saying. So much of today's movies is cowardly because they are afraid to be unapologetic because they're afraid they're going to lose people. This one doesn't give a shit. And... Yeah. We've got to keep all the general audiences happy, and we've got to appeal right. to the youngest demographic no. reasonable, and we've got to appeal to China. The Northman gave no fucks, um, and it's it's kind of a it's it's kind of gloriously beautiful. Like it's brutal and it's dirty and gross at times, and it's slow and it's methodical. It's, I, I would say deliberate, not slow, because there are some pacing issues with this movie. Okay. Um, for example, I'll give you one of my, th there's a lot of buildup. This is where I would make a sex joke, but I'm going to avoid that tonight. But there, there is a lot of buildup. There's, there's too much <laughs> rape in this movie for you to make a sex joke. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, there's a lot of buildup and in the, and so the, the beginning of the movie is just so violently brutal that, and then, and then it kind of you know it comes down a little bit and there's a lot of storytelling and it's still brutal um that it never really lets up on that but it's not quite as it's not quite berserker rage violent brutality like it is in the beginning of the movie so we so we get through this middle part of the movie and again there's some pacing issues there and it's it's you you're not wrong when you say it's very deliberate which i think is good um it's kind of it, it very much felt like a film of the 70s it very much had the kind of deer hunter dog day afternoon talking pacing. It's, it's it, not, a, this is not a movie that's afraid to make the audience watch and make the yeah. audience pay attention. It's kind of like Refin without the purposeful pregnant pauses. Oh, like pe people, yeah, yeah. people just talked, you know, but it, but, but Refin, I bring that up because when we talked about too old to die young and then, um, Sean and I talked, um, the, the one with the, the, the in Thailand, who's I can't remember the name of the movie anymore, but you know we talked oh, about how uh, Refin only God forgives, only God forgives, yeah. How Refin's one of Refin's styles was letting the camera be still, letting the shots breathe, giving the actors room to really be present in the moment, which is not something you see in a lot of modern Hollywood productions because it's got to be snappy a, or you lose your a, audience. It's a billion cuts and we've got to keep the eight-year-olds entertained. Right. Um, or the passive adult film watchers. Anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Look, I'm going to phrase this very carefully. As okay. someone who has been a passive adult film, who has been a passive watcher of movies, I, I do this. Though I will put something on in the background. It'll be on the second monitor while I'm doing something else. Like, whatever. Mm. When you go to the mo when you go to the movies and you do that, tell me your brain does not regress to that of an eight-year-old. Fair enough. Um, I mean, <laughs> no, that's a valid if point. I say, 
So if I say it that way, understand I am not trying. I'm not trying to insult you. Like get, being able to go back to that frame of mind and just enjoy something is, yeah, when used in an appropriate moderation, a healthy and an enjoyable thing. But that's what I. But when I say that's what I mean. So we get to the end of the movie. This is where I was. I was trying to get to. We get to the end of the movie, and if, to me, they were building up to him going full berserker rage again and like i was waiting for like a gory violent eruption and i started to get that and then it was like they pulled away and i don't think they pulled away out of cowardice i think they pulled away out of narrative but it almost felt like to use wrestling parlance we've done everything we can to build up james storm and then we don't put the belt on him because we need to subvert expectations and you've now lost everybody so when you finally get to game James Storm and being the TNA champion, no one gave a crap Robert, anymore. And then next week, Robert Roode wins it because yeah, swerve, sure. Um, not quite that ridiculous, but it you they built. I was waiting for this burst of uh, explosion of rage, and then they took it away. And then there's more film, and then he has the final fight. But then when he finally gets, you know, when he finally fights. Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, in the law. They don't care. Time be over. Um, so in that sense, I think it overstays its welcome. It um, It's two hours and 17 minutes. I know we say this every show. This was a little overindulgent. I, I think it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a really good movie. I think it's beautiful. I think it forces you to pay attention to it. I think it is a passion project for everyone involved, and you can see the love they put into this. Um, it's clearly not for everybody, but that doesn't speak to the craft. It's just that, you know, that that's personal taste. But I do think in terms of how it could be improved, maybe get it closer to just the two-hour mark. There were some... This feels like nobody was nobody wanted to say no in editing you know every every shot was everyone's baby and it all needed to be kept and it's like gosh that rarely works in film i mean i can't think of a whole lot of examples of we must keep all the babies and it works out perfectly i feel like the more babies you keep the less effective your film is and this film is wildly effective so we're talking like a we're talking shave this down 20 minutes and you get an a plus leave it as is it's kind of an a minus which is which is negligible quib quibbling but it's it's still a quibble i'm not quite sure i'm with you in terms of shaving 20 minutes off um i imagine you could get five cut easily mm-hmm our friend uh, harry hanging out with us tonight says the movie looked intriguing but not sure enough to check out Gosh, Harry, you watch no movies. This is a this is be a weird one to start with. Uh, but he also says, sounds like the same issue you had with Quiz Show. Yeah, I have this with a lot of movies. Robert's been in on enough of these where I've said, is nobody like I, the the best story I've ever heard is 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 George Lucas and Star Wars, where you know where his they had wife to, has to save that stupid movie in the editing. Right, room. right. And I think and and I think that's a really good example of how it should be. I think Lord of the Rings also, you know, yeah, Peter Jackson directed, but I think his wife edited that movie. And it was the Patton Oswalt thing of, I have to take all this footage you shot and make a movie out of it. 
which means a lot of stuff gets left. Jesus Christ, those movies are three hours if you watch the director's cut, and they still had to leave stuff on the floor. Yeah. Uh, so, again, I'm with you in that I think this could have been shaved. I don't... I think if you shave too much off of this, you lose some of what makes it so good, but that might also be a personal preference difference. Um, I'm with you. I I enjoyed this movie thoroughly. Uh, yeah. Room for discussion of between one to 20 minutes, how much you want to cut. Yeah. So, I don't know. Again, I think five could have come off easy. Like, there's an easy five minutes you could shave off of this thing. Like, just across its runtime. Uh, and again, maybe if we do that over a long enough period, we do get closer to 10. But mm-hmm. that's sure. that, that's just kind of my... As I sit here, my my initial thought would be it's more... It's probably closer to five. And mm-hmm. that gets you away from the slightly overlong feeling. But also keeps some of the, some of the spectacle and some of the pacing that you kind of need... Like, again, this movie is paced very, very intentionally. And, and I think mm. if you... <coughs> pardon me, I'm a little bit under the weather, so if you catch me coughing, that's why. Uh, I think if you cut too much, you lose a lot of the the great still shots, like mm. the great tracking shots through some of the battle sequences that are just... I mean, that that opening, the first major action sequence when they're attacking that village in, uh, in Russia, I mean, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, for the record, this is Robert Eggers' third film. Um, previously, he had directed The Witch and The Lighthouse, which are very different movies from each other, and very different from this one. And none of them is an action movie. <laughs> uh, and this one, he's got a great eye for it, it turns out. It's, it's really good. Uh, the acting in this is... Maybe I'm just so used to the very, very pedantic wide release style of acting these days. And, Broad acting. And uh, look, let me be clear. That doesn't mean that there's not emotional resonance in those types of performances. Because there are. No, no, but. But you go- see, you watch, uh, again, to the scene that you mentioned, you referenced earlier. You know, you watch Alexander Skarsgård and Nicole Kidman in that one scene in that tent and understand something, you are never going to see anything approximating that in something like the MCU. You're never going to see it. So let's, so before too much time passes and we don't talk about it, or I'm having to rush at the end, let's just focus on that scene. Um, Alexander Skarsgård and Nicole Kidman uh, are excellent. That, that is some of the best acting I have seen all year. It's some of the best acting I've seen in the past five years. It is, I don't know what if the Northman's going to get end up getting nominated for prizes over the next year. It should, <laughs> but it, but if I had to base it on one scene alone, it's that scene. They are so present. They are they are so enmeshed in their characters. They you don't yeah, you, see Alexander Skarsgård anymore. Like just because it's an easy one to pick at. If you look at some of the Marvel movies, that's very much Chris Evans. Chris Hemsworth and um, Slappy McGee, Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. Um, Yes, we know them as their characters, and they do a good job of getting into those roles, but those roles are broad enough that it's still easy to see the actor there. A lot of what Tom Cruise does, um, despite himself, you can still very much see Tom Cruise. 
exactly uh, I, 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 I utterly lost Nicole Kidman in that scene. Like you could, you, you could very, very visibly see her face. It's not like they did a lot of makeup or CGI to change it or anything like that. What I'm trying to say is sometimes someone's performance is so vibrant that you don't see the actor anymore. You no. just see that character. Alexander Skarsgård in that scene, like there are bits and pieces of the movie where I still see Alexander Skarsgård, you know, playing a big Viking dude. Yeah, there's, um, a, there's and to to his credit, I think they put him on screen a lot in this movie. Right. And while Skarsgård is a good actor, I don't mean to. I mean, if you mm-hmm. doubt that, feel free to watch this movie and then try to tell me that man's not a very gifted actor. But he's also not quite, you know, Joaquin Phoenix or Daniel Day Lewis or the kind right. of guy who, like, okay. You know, if you're Daniel Day Lewis and something like there will be blood, you're on like screen. Colin 95- Farrell is the, or even like Colin Farrell is the penguin. I understand they caked on ten pounds of makeup, but I didn't. But you, it's not like I was hearing bullseye either. Like Colin Farrell lost himself in that role and was very much that iteration of the penguin. Yeah, the makeup helps. I'm sorry, I cut you off, but I wanted to throw that out as an example. But well, no, no, my point there was just. If you're looking at someone who's going to be on screen for ninety some odd percent of your movie, mm-hmm. and not have a, and not have places where between their performance and the editing and the shooting and whatnot, there's little inconsistencies. You've got to be a truly, truly special. Mm-hmm. And again, when I say that, I don't mean like you. You're very, very good. You've got so, you've you've got to be Joaquin Phoenix as as Arthur yeah. Fleck, right? He's he's literally on screen for that entire film. Barring like two cuts during the riot, uh, Anna Taylor Joy is a is a great actress. Um, as just by way of comparison, she could learn a thing or two from Nicole Kidman. Yeah, because I never stop seeing sexy butt Anna Taylor Joy uh, in this movie. You know, she can do. She, this might I, sound weird when it comes to her, but I think if we're talking about the quality of her acting. Mm-hmm. I think she's a better TV actress. If you haven't, she, if you have not seen Queen's Gambit on Netflix, mm-hmm. she is, she turns in one of the more remarkable uh, performances. Like it, it's it's held in very high esteem for a very good reason. I was gonna say one night in what is it? One night in um, Soho. Soho. See, one night in Soho. The earlier scenes where you see her in the past, I think I don't see Anna Taylor Joy anymore. See here. Um, I, I, I very much saw her. So just to go back to that scene so we can finish talking about it. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned before Nicole Kidman goes full Disney villain. That's not a criticism. That's a compliment. Like she it, knew that scene, that she had to hit scene, a shrieking pitch. That scene could have so easily been what derailed this entire movie. Yeah. Like, again, like, when you like, that's kind of my, why I, when you, you did the, the author of all your pain thing, like I balked mm. a little bit because that <laughs> is kind of the scene that derails so much of Spectre to that point when you just, right. okay, like at this point I am beyond caring and you tell mm. me that you're, you're beyond caring with the way you've written this. Right. But yeah, that scene could have ruined everything that follows it because this is meant to be a big thing. This right. is, this is his, I mean, he has this great line after that when he's talking with uh, Olga about, he's like, yeah, she murdered my past. I don't know who I am anymore. Right. Like everything I thought was real was not. And that that will, you know, and if that consequently, if that scene, the one that is earth shattering for this character comes across as eye rolling or comical to the audience, you've lost everything. Right. 
and everyone in that scene nails it. I want to I want to say something very specific about that because <laughs> everyone thinks it's easy to be an actor. Everyone wants to be a player. Everyone <laughs> wants to be a movie star. There is a craft to acting that escapes most people. It looks it, easy, especially if you like. It's so funny the content whiplash I've had to go through this past week because I went to go see this Friday night with my buddy. At the same time, I'm binge watching How I Met Your Father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, for the record. I had a similar content whiplash in the combat sports world on Saturday. Mm -hmm. I watched the the heavyweight boxing fight between Tyson Fury and Dillian White. Uh, which is great. It's a great mm -hmm. display from Tyson Fury. Ends in a brilliant sixth round knockout. Yep. Uh, Tyson Fury is the best. Yeah, he is deceptively one of the best boxers in modern boxing right now. I, I was talking to my wife about that. I was like, "Gosh, you don't want to say he's Floyd Mayweather, you know, but he's 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 so good." And you would think like a guy who looks, you know, like one of the oddities from the WWE would be that good, but he is the best. He's so good. He he's so good. He made he made it seem like Dillian White was exposed. Dillian White wasn't exposed. There's just a chasm of ability well, between the best of the best and Dillian White. Well, also Dillian White in all three of Dillian White's losses. Mm -hmm. So Anthony Joshua, Alexander Povetkin, and now and now Tyson Fury. Guess what punch ended him in all three? The right uppercut. So yeah, he's a little exposed. Like just throw uppercuts at the guy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, uh, anyway, hang on. The, the point there is I went from that, yeah. which is, you know, Tyson Fury is about as good as boxing gets. And he may not be the absolute pinnacle of it, but he's certainly up there. Sure. About 15 minutes later, the uh, a little bit longer than that, but yeah, about 15, 20 minutes later, the UFC event starts. And our first fight on the prelims is Mike Jackson, who you might remember as the schlub that they drew, that they pulled out of the uh, media pool to fight CM Punk in Punk's second fight in the UFC, which was a terrible fight that Jackson won and then had changed to a no contest after he failed a drug test against a four and one Irish guy. And it ends via DQ in the first round after the Irish guy kicks Mike Jackson in the crotch twice and then visibly gouges him in the eye trying to break a clinch. That's Fury Dillian White, Mike Jackson, Dean Barry. And I went from here to here <laughs> With that fast, with nothing in between. Yeah, <laughs> same thing. It was thing. like, yeah, I'm watching the Northmen, and then I gotta watch, you know, this group of idiots, you know, <laughs> <laughs> do How I Met Your Father. And the the point related to the Northmen is the subtlety of the craft of acting is on display in Nicole Kidman in that scene. Oh yeah. For those of you who think acting is, I'm pre I'm pretty and have big boobs, you know, or I'm handsome and have abs. I should be in pictures. Maybe you should, because God only knows it takes all kinds to sell a movie ticket these days. But know that a real actor, I mean, like, just as by way of example, um, Dwayne Johnson and John Cena both had to really work at it to become passable yeah. actors. They didn't start off that way. They started off as bodies and as, um, personalities. as personalities. And they had to learn to act. And neither one of them is a stellar actor even now. But they're miles away from where they started. Oh, yeah. You, you and compare it, look, if you if you compare John Cena in the Marine to John mm -hmm. Cena in Peacemaker, there yeah. is a like again, the difference between those two 
the acting ability on right. display in those two projects is enormous. Well, look, but, at, you know, just another by way of comparison, because um, The Rock did, or Dwayne Johnson did the game plan after <laughs> he had gone through acting classes and had gotten some chops under him and was able to stretch as an actor. So if you compare, again, the game plan to the Scorpion King, for example, yeah. you know, there's, a, there's, again, a wide chasm of ability. And so just to conclude this point, between the shrieking pitch that she hits, the absolute, you know, there's a term in directing, the term in acting called, you know, going for it. Um, I have gone for it on this show. I miss more, more than, than I once. <laughs> I miss more than I hit. <laughs> you know, me singing Agatha all along to Robert because I think it'll be funny and it coming across as way awkward. You know, I, I there went are people for who it. find that funny. I went for it. And I whiffed, and I may have hit Alexis with the bat. Um, <laughs> so going for it as an actor, she clearly went for it. And there's enough talented people involved in the direction of that scene and the acting of that scene that she doesn't go too far to where it becomes um, cartoony, a cartoony or a parody. And and but you need every bit of the drama in that scene for it to work. If she doesn't go. It is a stellar and beautiful and just almost heartbreaking thing to see somebody nail a pitch. When yeah. you need a very precise pitch in a scene in order to sell it, and you get the perfect amount of acting and the perfect amount of directing and the perfect amount of blocking where actors oh, yeah. need to be, the camera's where it should be. Everything just... It's like a it's like a chorus coming together or something. I, I, I it's one of the things that makes film exciting for me. And it was it, it, the whole movie gets encapsulated in that one scene where just everything works and it's gorgeous. Yeah. And it's and it, and you change a detail even a little bit here or there. Move a camera, direct her differently, block them differently. And the whole scene might unravel. But it doesn't, and that's the magic of that scene. If you, it, it, you know, for people who might not want to run to the theater to go see this for one reason or another, it's worth watching PVOD just to watch that scene. It is a work of art. It absolutely is. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. It's wonderful, uh, and I love the physical acting in all of this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Skarsgård in particular he gets the physicality of this role yeah. in a way that very few people get the physicality of what they're doing these days. Mm -hmm. You know, when he's, whether he's hauling things around or he's getting hit or, you know, he's trying to shoulder check a man five inches taller and at least a hundred pounds heavier than he is. And five inches wider. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'd have to double check where Bjornsson is at now because he fluctuates, but sure. Yeah. He's he, and it, it was such a great sequence like that, that, uh, again, the field hockey game. Oh my God. I'll tell you what, this should be nominated for sound editing though, based on just the, that scene alone and those hits, oh, like, yeah. you could hear crunching. <laughs> you could, you could hear impact of body to body and crunching <laughs> of bone. It is, it was breathtaking and frightening all at the same time. 
Oh yeah. You really place. feel like you're there. Like credit to the sound editors. They were like, all right, we want to make this sound like someone died in your living room. Go. Well, okay. We'll figure <laughs> out a way to make that work. <laughs> we'll we'll bust out the foley and we'll get some uh, we'll get celery and we'll get some raw meat <laughs> and we will figure this thing out. We will hit a chicken in the face. Uh, again, that's to the, like you said, that's to the credit of the sound design. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, great sound design is something that goes under the radar far too often. I mean, if you want another example, uh, if you consider like the best, the best sound designed movie in history, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the sound of the snakes slithering over each other. Mm. You know how they get, you know, do you know how they got that? I know there's a crazy story about it, but go ahead. It's them. It's the, like the sound guys, they're on a gravel road. And one of them just leans out the side of the car and puts the microphone down by the tire. (laughs) It's the sound of a car driving over gravel. Nice. Uh, Kind of the same thing with the, with the boulder when it's chasing Indy, like it's from that same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's amazing and the sound design here you know you feel the impact you know everything that happens has a sound component that gets you in the guts well even the early berserker raid scenes i mean yeah it's a lot of screaming but it's it's so guttural you know Uh, and to your point about everyone who thinks acting is easy uh, i'm aware of a director who is of the opinion that acting is the hardest job in the world for the following reason what you have to do to an actor, as an actor, is get yourself into a place where you feel something. And then you have to be able to access that and replicate it over and over and over and over and over again so that they can shoot the scene over and over and over and over and over again. And if you're doing, you know, a sitcom, not the hardest thing in the world. When the director's like, okay, we're going to shoot the scene where you finally get to take revenge on the man who murdered your father, <laughs> kidnapped your mother, and okay, now I'm going to put the camera right in front of your face, and you're about to die. You feel that you're about to die, and you have to sell all of this with just your eyes and your breathing. Go. Like, You couldn't do that, listener, depending on who you are. Right. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Like, it's... It's so hard to, uh, and it's kind of on the same vein. Uh, when we talk about, jo- you know, we talked about Joker, and I don't think I talked about it enough at the time, but there are sequences in Joker where Joaquin Phoenix is simultaneously laughing hysterically, but sobbing. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> Believably, right. like right. I, I genuinely don't know what you do in your headspace to get to a point where you can laugh hysterically here at your mouth, but here you are sobbing uncontrollably. I don't know how Joaquin, you do that. I mean, yeah, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix, you can't take it away from him. I mean, you know, we're pointing at Joker as, as the most visible example of his acting, but look oh, at yeah. like the oh. wide, uh, like uh, Alexis and I reviewed, come on, come on. And he's not, playing a particularly colorful character in that but it's great he does a great job with it there's a i i think the other thing uh, this is the last thing i'm going to say and i'll let you have your final piece on the north because i don't have to, that much more to say we've also we're over an hour now yeah. um but 
you know, acting is about the subtlety. It's not about it's it's not about the broad reactions. Comedy is about broad reactions. Yeah. And it's easier, I think, to be a comedian than it is to be an actor. And they are not the same thing. You know, you can be like, I'm funny. You know, I'm also overweight. So it all it would be funny to watch me trip and fall. Like, I, you know, Chris Farley was funny, but he was funny because he was a fat guy who did physical comedy. And there were just, you know, Sam Kinison, as another example, made people laugh because he was screaming in their face and people would laugh out of, you know, discomfort. Comedy is easy. Acting is hard. To create yeah, a character you, that's believable. Met, I mean, you you bring up Chris Farley, and I'm not to speak ill of the dead. Funny guy. Mm-hmm. But watch but watch his movies from an acting standpoint. And yeah. there's nothing there. Yeah, he's doing shtick. Yeah. But he's doing the shtick that made that was funny on Saturday Night Live, and that is a large part of those movies. Is mm-hmm. You know, let's take the shit that was funny and build a movie around it. You know, Molly, Molly Shannon, you know, with the with the, the Catholic school girl and the hands in the armpits. Oof. You know, like, let's build a thing around that. Let's build a Let's build a movie around um, Will Ferrell and the, uh, the uh, Chris Kattan, you know, as they dance in front of a club awkwardly. Let's build a movie. <clears throat> That's funny. Let's build a let's build a movie around it. Jason and I reviewed The Ladies Man. It was a sketch on Saturday Night Live. They built a movie around it. Um, yeah, by, and the, and again, by, again, by contrast, hey, Alexander Skarsgård, you're going to walk this tapestry through uh, through this house. And your character is going to get the first look at his mother in 20 years. And it's going to be for just a second through a cracked door. And the camera's going to be here. And we're going to shut the door. So you've got five seconds less much less now that I think about it, to convey on your character's face the heartbreak and elation at her still being alive. Go. Yeah, it, right. Not a lot of actors can pull that off. All right, your your final thoughts. I'm going to say this. I think The Northman is great. <laughs> I think it's probably going to be one of the, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be one of the best films of this year. But I don't know how many people are going to be talking about it because it is so off the beaten path of what is commonly enjoyed by not just the average film person, but even film critic people. I like we'll we'll get to it when we get to the Rotten Tomatoes part, the critical review. But I've seen the numbers, and not that it was hated or even rotten in either case, but I think people struggled with this. I think the most common conversation around film that I have with people is them saying i don't go to the movies to be made to feel uncomfortable and i feel like that is a commonly held belief about critics too commonly a commonly held um belief among critics is that they too they they too don't want to be made to feel uncomfortable film should film should always be a pleasurable experience i think is probably like the most commonly held religious belief among the western world Okay, there's you know, two things. Going to the movie should be a fun activity. This is not a fun two, movie. There's two things <laughs> by that any stretch of the imagination. Two things ahead, that need sorry. to be said about that. No, you're okay. Mm-hmm. First of all, could you imagine trying to get Schindler's List made today? Yes, but it would be on Netflix. 
again, but just like, can you imagine trying to pitch that? I mean, even Netflix might not take it. If you see, if you see what they're having to cut, what they're cutting back on these days. Well, yeah, well <laughs> they did Mank. There's an argument yeah, but, made they would do Schindler's List, but on the other hand, that was also two years ago. But again, just the, the point is, hey, I want to make a movie about the Holocaust, <laughs> and I want it to be accurate. Right. And we're going to use real people. We're going to base this on real events, not not just mm-hmm. like the general Holocaust, because believe it or not, there's a fair number of fictional account of fiction set during the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. But you know, and no, I'm, and we're going to make this as realistic as possible. Nobody's going to give you the time of day today. Like, no. <laughs> right. And even if you do get it released, can you imagine? Can you imagine the Rotten Tomatoes reaction to Schindler's List if it were released today? I don't go to the movies to feel. Ugh, those idiots. And second, I've come to the conclusion that there's something. MMA journalism and contemporary film criticism have something very much in common. And you were around the MMA journalism game for you mm-hmm. know a significant period of time. Yep. In here's what I mean by that: most MMA journalists, and you can put air quotes around that if you feel so inclined, are nothing but glorified fans. Right. And if you look at most contemporary film critics, I think that's all they are. They are glorified. But that's all they. But that's all the uh, modern glorified fans. The, well, I was gonna say that the the places where journalism is housed, just sort of an awkward way of saying newspapers, blogs, websites, etc. Um, cable news they networks. They don't want those. They don't want those things anymore. Well, <laughs> nobody seems to want. Cri- nobody seems to want critical analysis. No, like they so, really somebody, don't. You know, I, I like I hate to be like our show, right? But our show, you know, our show is 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 film critical analysis. Yes, you and I also like to poke and you know and pinch each other, and you know it can it can get silly, and we bring other people, and there's there's less analysis going on during those things. But like when you think about just the ones where it's just me and you, I would like to believe, and I'm certainly shooting for, fil- like real film analysis. What you know, we talk about things like film composition, um, shot composition, things like that. You know, we just did 10 to 20 minutes on the nature of acting and what is real acting and what is, you know, a pretty face on camera reciting dialogue. And, and when how, I think and, and Nicole Kidman's probably going to get an Oscar nomination for supporting actors for that scene alone and deserve right. it. Right. And so, you know, when I think about what we're doing, it's the kind of thing you would do in a film class. But when I think about the nature of criticism, the nature of criticism when, when, you, when Kevin when Kevin Carr haunts your nightmares. <laughs> when I think about the nature of film criticism, whether it's amateur or professional, um, it very much comes across like all everyone wants criticism to be is fan reaction. Yeah, they don't want the critical analysis piece, and critical analysis is what used to separate journalism or criticism from you know, some asshole's fanzine or a letter to the editor, or now because of the nature of the internet and social media, everyone's Twitter Twitter feed. feed. (laughs) Or, or, or no, no, whatever the, whatever the, uh, wait, have you seen my dad's, no, no, wait, have you seen my dad's TikTok? No. 
Why would I? Oh my god. Okay, so please say no, what you're gonna no, say, but I have to pull no. up my dad's TikTok now because it is oh, emblematic god. of where we are in terms of the promotion of personal opinion as criticism as opposed to the critical analysis it used to be. It's fucking hilarious, dude. Okay. Like I, I, okay, I, and, and by the way, was... it's my most popular TikTok ever. Hang okay, on. Okay, here you look at that. I'm just gonna say, yeah, it's everyone's Twitter feed or dot 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 whatever the liberals or whatever website the liberals can cock now that Elon Musk has taken over. <laughs> just, because hang on, because we try to be apolitical here, let me let me make this abundantly clear. I laughed at all the conservative people who said I'm leaving Twitter after Trump got kicked off. I laughed at them. Mm -hmm. Now I get to laugh at everyone on the other side of the aisle going, ah, Elon Musk, bad. I'm leaving. I'm sorry. I'm just, I just get to laugh at all of you because you're all idiots. All right. I have it up. This is all right. God help us all. I'm, I'm playing this because I'm telling you right now, this to me sums up where we are in the culture. Okay. Just in so many different ways. Not even the content of what he's saying as a, you know, as a as a as a valid argument. More the fact that this is the kinds of things that get said. And to that point, it's the kind of things that get said and then become the focus of debate and conversation and not any kind of real analysis of the of the subject matter. So here we go. I love oh. my dad. I love my oh. dad. I love my dad. I love my dad. No, no, I'm just looking at the subtitle <laughs> you put there and I'm This it's is great, go, right? This is going to go so badly. Oh my god, this might get us demonetized. Yeah. Hey, uh, Republicans are great at projection. When you hear them talking about child pornography, you know it's something they want to do or are doing. When you hear them talking about cancel culture, there are tons. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah, you know you're not wrong about that being everything out of the world right now. <laughs> I'm right? No, no, no. Again, like with, with how you set that up, yes, you are correct. That's what everyone does. <laughs> so bad, but so. Relating back to the Northman, how my father's ridiculous TikTok, <laughs> the most popular one I have. That so my average Dude, TikTok. You put polit. You put a political thing out there that'll do it every single time. Uh, uh, my average TikTok between the exercise stuff that I do in this in the clips of these shows, um, average around four hundred. On the high end, I think the one that Ronnie and I did about Michael Bay in movies got around the eight hundred. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Harry, Harry's been hanging out with us the whole time tonight. I haven't put everything that he said up there, but this one, this one cracks me up. My dad <laughs> is canceled, <laughs> or they're gonna run him for president. One of the two. Um. Anyway, Ooh, so you just why? <laughs> now I'm thinking about your dad as running for office, and I'm just horrified. <laughs> Trump rattledge 2026. Um. Anyway, or 2024 rather. So anyway, so but. Last thing, and then I'm going to let you end this end this critical review. So my average TikTok does around 400 views. You know, 700 on the high end, 100 to yeah. 120 on the low end, and then there's some stuff that just doesn't resonate and it stays less than 100. It's fine. That's my TikTok. My dad's thing that I just played, almost 4,000 views. That was from Saturday. <laughs> the, our stupid culture. Go. <laughs> yep.
So to wrap on the Northman, uh, this is a great movie. I mentioned him earlier, but I'm going to bring this up again. Robert Eggers is a tremendous director. Uh, he's directed three very different movies. The Witch is pretty much straight psychological horror and then has an ending that is deeply affecting, especially if you're... Let me say this. If you are a genuinely religious person, and I am, the ending of The Witch is disturbing in the ways you want to be disturbed by that movie. Mm -hmm. The Lighthouse is a wonderful, wonderful look at madness and isolation, uh, anchored by a couple of great performances from Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Genuinely a great movie. Both of those are absolutely worth your time. Uh, I am very interested in what he does going forward. If this is kind of, uh, you know, by the time you get to about three to four movies, you've got a feel for a director. Because anybody can get lucky once, Jordan Peele. Sorry, I I rewatched Us recently, and no, that's <laughs> not right. a good movie. Anyway, start anyway, to, start to wrap. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very excited to see what he does next. He's a very interesting filmmaker. This is a great movie. It is very well shot. It is extremely. We I was saving this for the segue. So I'll save it until I get to do that. But you, you may, we've talked about the sound design for crying out loud. How many times do we do that? Not, not because it's not Im not because it's not important to the success of a film and to the overall presentation, but because so much of it is so bland and just so yeah. there. I mean, it exists, but it's not really interesting or gripping. And it is here. The shot compositions are great. There's some great tracking shots that are just still. I mean, I'm not sure if they are single takes, but they're presented as single takes. Of these great battle sequences. This is a movie that's not afraid to be brutal, as we've talked about. There's a component of the writing to this that I deeply appreciate. They they don't shy away from the religious violence. Uh, it's a very mm -hmm. common thing here. Uh, I mean, part of the, you know, we initially get um, uh, Odin as being worshipped by uh, Almeth and his father. And then by the time we get to Fjolnir, he has a different god. He has um, Fafnir, I think. And my favorite gag, like when at one point when uh, uh, Almuth is being tortured by uh, Fjolnir, he says, "No, you should fear Odin. He's gonna wreak. He's going to wreak destruction on your god of erections, because Fjolnir, uh, because Fafnir is a fertility god." Uh, there's, they talk a lot of, they talk about, um, you know, violence towards Christians, which is extremely common at this point in human history. Uh, Christians were extremely persecuted. Uh, so I, they kept the religious undertones of this and I appreciate that. This is a well-written movie. It's well shot. It's well, again, the sound design is great. It's incredibly well acted. There's not a, they get good acting out of some young actors here. And that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, I'm not sure it's a, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but it is a great movie. And again, I'll let you do the segue here, but I love the music for this thing. It's great. Like the score for this movie is genuinely awesome. Uh, and it's have done by, heard, have you, before we, before we do the music, I, I just, there was something I, my wife brought this up and I, she might be sleeping. So I don't want to like run in there and ask her. But I was telling her that we were doing this tonight, and she goes, have you heard that there's criticism that there's not enough people of color in this movie? You know what? You might have found something that'll push my buttons more 
<laughs> then this is a nihilistic film. This is not a nihilistic film. Yeah, why I, would there... In a, in I know, a, I know. In a historically accurate recreation of a quasi-Viking epic set in Norway, Iceland, and parts of Russia, or, you know, the... or. Yeah, I, fa- I found out the other day why you call it the Ukraine, believe it or not, instead of just Ukraine. <laughs> or you know, why, why, Mark, do you think there wouldn't be people of different skin pigmentations in a movie set above a specific latitude at a very specific point in time? I can't imagine. No, I, I, I get it. I, I don't. I, I told her to send me the article, and we just never had a chance because all I'm finding right now. Is like there's an article here from the Guardian that says Norse code are white supremacists reading too much into the Northmen, and there's like a slew it, that, of articles. Hang on. And that's dumb as well. You, <laughs> yeah, the, how desperate a, are you people for content that this is the shit you're spinning out? Yeah, there's an article here from the Mary Sue, which is not a real publication. The Northmen tried to take Vikings away from white supremacists. White supremacists hijacked the Northmen. That's from the Daily Mail. How? Critics claim, what in the critic, world is the Critics claim the Northman emboldens white supremacists. I, but I can't find where my wife thought she saw people are complaining. And maybe she saw it on Twitter. Who knows? I don't know how much she's on Twitter these oh, days. Oh, she. Pro- I'm, I'm sure somewhere on Twitter is someone going, you know, really. <laughs> Not enough black people in this movie. About Vikings. And we're not sure about and and could we have could we maybe have gotten some asexual representation here? Yeah, where was the like, LGBTQ community represented in all of this? This is this is setting Hollywood back at least ten years. <laughs> I I hate everyone who is contributing to this narrative. Look, look, I said this that we referenced the movie over earlier, but mm-hmm. in the span of about two weeks, remember the fury that kicked up around Joker. Mm-hmm. Like, we yeah. can't have this. There will be riots. You, you can't do this. Angry white men. Don't you understand? They will riot. If you let them, if you, we let Joker go through. Like, you guys are so desperate for some form of engagement and to fill space and time. You are creating something out of nothing. You are everything wrong with the political system in the sense that you are trying to wag the dog. Stop it. You suck. <laughs> All right. If I can find it, I'll 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 send it to you. Okay. Um, but like I said, I mean, according Don't uh, don't I, feel don't feel like you have to. I really don't need that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot here about the emboldening of white supremacists and stuff. Um, but I'm not necessarily seeing something. Anybody, that jumps... Was there anyone legitimately complaining that Black Panthers well, that Black Panther would like cause no. a rise in the No, because then it was okay. When it yeah, was black, like, when it was you, when it was Black Panther, it was okay to have a, and it was. Don't get me wrong. You want to do man, a you're, pro? You're, a, 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 you're a, telling a story about an African culture that right. existed in essentially isolation yeah, for a it, long period of time. Sure, that makes sense. You're telling yeah, a story you, about Vikings pre 1000 AD. Guess what makes sense? Yeah, that that's the thing. You want to tell a Pan African, you know, superhero mythology story. Make you should make sure your cast is predominantly African American. I'm fine with this. In fact, if you can get more African actors to do it, that would be even better. You want to make a story about Vikings? Sorry, this is kinda, this, you know, look, this I isn't love, in the, love, this isn't in the fucking heights. 
I look, I love Idris Elba, but he ain't a Viking. <laughs> but could you imagine the, could you imagine that argument taking place in a Hollywood office somewhere? Yes. So like, you know, I, I want to do this Viking epic story that based on historical uh, fact. Okay. Well, who are you thinking about for leads? Well, we got Alexander Skarsgård. Like, I'm noticing you don't have a lot of black people on this list. Normally, you don't have a lot of Hispanic people on this list. Hey, so yeah, uh, so there's Quentin a reason Tar- for that. <laughs> so Quentin Tarantino, you're making a movie about the antebellum South. We'd like you not to use the N word. <laughs> just yeah, just it's beyond stupid. It, I said before, and and then I'm gonna I'll do Amazon, and then we can get out of this, but. I said before, this is un- unapologetically brave yeah. in a world that is so cowardly. And of, so, of it, course, the reaction, the, re- the, a- the reaction to that bravery. You ever just see a man act like a man and everyone repel around him? Like, you know, just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, not, not a man acting like a normal man. We can't have that. Yeah, I had, to change, this movie. I, had to, I had to change a flat tire the other day, and the, the, the bus full of school children that drove by was horrified. <laughs> so the music is really good in this. Very it really haunting. is. Like, I mean, I, I'm, we, we try to do this as a we do this as a bit for a segue, but mm-hmm. no, legitimately, the music in this thing is great. Yeah, the music in this movie um, is very haunting, and it 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 is almost as much a character of the movie as the scenery yeah. uh, and set pieces. And if you are looking for great mood music for your D and D campaign or, uh, you know, for your party or whatever else your ears you're into, uh, you should check out our free giveaway for a free trial, uh, our, our 30 day giveaway rather for a free trial of Amazon music unlimited, go to get Amazon slash W2M network. Make sure you complete the sign up process. You'll get your free 30 days. You can stream all you want, all 800 zillion songs currently on Amazon Music, new albums, uh, all kinds of stuff that we review here on the Metal Hammer of Doom, like Rammstein, Lordy, um, in a week or two, the new Fozzie album. It's all there waiting for you. <laughs> You're doing Fozzie? Sure, why not? We're kind of a wrestling network. Um, a little bit. Of, I assume there's at least one single that's a little bit of the bubbly. <laughs> I hope. So yes, if you're into Chris Jericho's band, if you're into any of the stuff that we review in the Middle Hammer of Doom and you want to hear it, you want to check it out for free, uh, use our link here in the description of this podcast, get amazonmusic.com slash W2M network. And if you're interested, with- uh, specifically if you're interested in some other stuff that uh, touches on uh, the, the kind of Viking style of singing, uh, there's an artist uh, by the name of Peyton Parrish. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he did he did the vocals I think for the sa- for one of the songs that was in the Assassin's Creed game that was Valhalla. Uh, he's quite good and he does some uh, he does Viking metal, uh, not exclusively but he does a fair bit of that. So he's someone that if you're in- again if you like kind of the sound like this and the uh, the Viking kind of throat singing uh, sound, uh, he does some stuff like that. So all right, and with that, here comes the money. Ooh. You know, um, of all the things that we were talking about, as far as like the old show, it's fun to hear the it's fun to hear the music come up again. You know, here comes the money, yeah. Shane McMahon. Um, but I but I can honestly say, with with without hesitation, that might be still my favorite money theme we've ever done. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, I'm not complaining about it. Uh, um, <clears throat> sorry, ha- Harry's been weighing in for this whole, for this whole show, and uh, this last one someone that he else, put up here, he's like, I like Fozzie, but the other one was, we'll lean heavily the other way on Monday for when we review for the culture, which is pretty much all all black people wrestling. Uh, yeah, someone someone else watching live, go hang out with Harry and keep him company. All right, speaking of keeping Harry company, the budget on this movie is about on the north end of $90 million. It made $24.9 million. Um, I think it's safe to say the problem with this movie is going to be the following. It, I don't uh, quite... I think that might be a little bit on the extreme side. And here... I say that for only the following reason. Hang on. Let me preface. I, w- I will let you have your say. But you do realize this thing... I don't even know where it landed. I haven't looked yet. We're about, to, we're about to do that. This thing went up against a DreamWorks movie based on a children's book series. Um, my son actively reads those books. And if he's reading them, I guarantee you other kids are too. That's the bad guys. Anna Nick Cage, like action comedy. And oh, by the way... This week is nothing, but the following week is Doctor Strange. Okay, it's not going to be profitable. Go Hang ahead. Hang on, I'm not saying its box office return is going to be all is going to necessarily be profitable. Mm-hmm. I think, I think whatever they get for streaming rights will okay. get will get it over the hump. Like, well, can, can we, let's talk about that for a second. This is Focus Feature. Focus Feature is owned by Comcast. Comcast is Universal. It's gonna go to Peacock, no? I don't know that actually. Um, I, 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 that's not me dissing on Peacock, which I do frequently. Sure. Uh, this, in this instance, that's more. No, I'm genuinely not sure. Like, I don't know if this is going straight to Peacock. This will probably have a second. This will probably have a pretty significant second life when it becomes uh, PVOD. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would not surprise me one bit for this one. It's, it's that kind of movie, like. If you're not going to, if you want to be able to, if you're interested in it, but you don't want to go sit in the movie theater for two hours, like you could easily, you know, get this on Amazon Prime or whatnot and then have it. Yeah. Uh, so, I, again, I am not calling this a, this is not going to be a blockbuster. It's not going to do great box office numbers. But I think when you factor in what they're going to get for streaming, I think they're going to wind up being okay. And moreover, you know, this is the kind of movie that, this is a prestige picture, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- that's why you have it done through focus. Yeah. Look, so I'm not. So, uh, I, I think I, th- a, I thought it was a worthy endeavor, but this is the money. Yes, a lot of prestige pictures don't make any money, and if you're criticizing my use of the of the crashing and burning uh, thing, you know, calling it a bomb. Okay, but I'm speaking specifically to did it or did it not at least make double its budget? It's not going to. No, it's just not. In that respect, no. But by the same token, we also use the bomb for movies that wildly underperform. I mean, that's fair. Um, if, if that's your major hang-up about it. But um, I, don't, I don't think anyone else really wants to hear us debate the, whether or not I use the bombing thing. So let's talk about the weekend. So as, as I said, in the widest release of the three, 
um, and the most generally appealing, The Bad Guys, was your number one movie of the weekend. I saw it today with Jonas. Jonas, who was the intended audience, loved it. I thought it was adorable. It was totes adorbs. Um, Please don't say that. Okay. Sorry, Harry just put something up. Google says going to Peacock for the... There you go. Thank okay. you, Harry. Harry playing the part of producer tonight. Google says going to Peacock per the rap. So there not a real. So when when NBC pr- appropriately shuts down Peacock because it's not a real streaming service, someone else is going to pay for it. Moving on. Um, my son and I really enjoyed uh, the bad guy. It's a, it's a very cute. Pe- I you know me, I like a good heist film, and there's a lot of attention paid to details of a heist movie that they played with in a children's feature. So it was fun to see. Um, the voice work was fine. The voice work was was cute. Um, it had a it had a fine enough story to it. You know, it's it's one of those things where I think if we had reviewed it instead of the Northman, um, I think we would have been like, yeah, it's it's okay. I think it's it's a it's a great place for you. It's a great movie okay, to take hang your children on, to. Hang on, hang on. But I don't I don't think either one of us would have been like in love with the movie. So no no no. What do you think my opinion of it would have been? I mean, thinking back to your to our reviews of like How to Train Your Dragon 2 and Kung Fu Panda and Hotel Transylvania and the Angry Birds movie, I think you would have landed on it's fine. You'd have had your quib- you'd have had your quibbles, you'd have had, you know, your Robertisms, um, and we would have had a conversation about it. But I think you especially these days, you're more you you sort of washed accept, your hands. Of, I accepted the middle ground. Yeah, you, you you've sort of washed your hands of expecting a higher order of film from things and just sort of accepting the middle ground, as you said. I will I will damn you with your own mediocrity because that's all. I don't need to go into super. I don't need to go into flowery verbiage. Yeah, and so I think you would have been like, it's okay. I think we both would have landed in the same place. Ooh, ooh, I, could I have busted out my it's cheap, forgettable, disposable, crappy content? Maybe because because I because I, I don't <laughs> well Jonas um, Jonas's thing was they took half of one book and half of another book and made one movie out of it. There's a lot of he's already he's already like in his mind producing the sequel. Um, oh, good for him. Yeah, he's a little junior movie executive. I love him to death. And he's like he's already plotting the sequel to this movie. <clears throat> and I said to him like that's fine, Jonas. It actually it actually it actually has to make money though. However, I don't know anymore. I was just reading some some stuff that's been Venom three was greenlit. Yeah, Ghostbusters four was greenlit. Yeah, the Batman two was greenlit. Well, that one makes sense. <clears throat> Again, it didn't hit Does the it? billion. Hang on, hang on. I will grant you. And look, I was the one who said this. Like, I don't. I, I said I don't think this hits the heights you think it will. Yeah, sure. It still. That's going to be one of the most successful finance. That's going to be one of the highest earners of the year when it's all said and done. Well, Doctor Strange, Jurassic Hang on. Park. L- look, let me. It's going to be top ten easy. Okay. It might even be top five. Remember, at the end of the year, there's still Avatar two. I will believe that when I actually see it. Avatar two is supposed to have been a thing for the last decade. And then. You know, you say top 10, but it's very easy to get to number 11 if you've got enough films in the top 10 to push you out of it. And now you're talking a matter of dollars and cents. Well, okay, so what happens on. if Black Black Adam and Shazam 
which are both third and fourth quarter actually kick ass. Well, again, we if you want to have a significant discussion about this, like Doctor Strange probably will beat it. I'll stress oh, probably if it's not Avatar, Doctor Strange is your number one movie of the year. You know, I'm not as sold on that as I used to be, believe it or not. Um, here, let's just go through this really quick. So yeah, let's um, go through the top ten that was, and then we can talk about the future. Okay. Um, I, I was gonna I was gonna read like what's coming up over the summer, but uh, yeah, let let's just let's stay focused. So the bad guys was your number one movie of the year. It knocked Sonic out of week. the so, yeah week. Sorry, it knocked Sonic no. out of the top one no. spot. It had twenty three million nine hundred. It did not knock 000. Sonic out of the top spot. Oh, it knocked Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, yep. you're right. Sorry. Um, yeah, Sonic maintained its spot at number two. It yep. knocked Fantastic Beasts from one to three. Oof, that thing went off a cliff in a barrel, dude. Yikes. A sixty six percent drop. Ugh. That's catastrophic for that. I, I I told you I listened back to our review of that, and we were saying at the time like this is not going well for this franchise. It's worse than that. Like, they, they, whoever wanted to see this movie saw it opening weekend, and that's the end of that, Jack. Uh, I, again, I think they wildly missed the mark about how people. Again, I don't even think you need kids in this movie in these movies to make it work, mm-hmm. but I do think you need to feature the magic of that world. And the last two haven't really done that. And people have caught on to the con. Yep. Uh, the Northman debuted at number four, which, is a, which is a, that's a strong debut for essentially an indie film. Yeah. With a $12 million budget. Um, it, see this, I'm surprised by, cause I would have thought it, it of the three wide releases this weekend, it would have come in third, but it actually, but it came in second because what came in third was the unbearable weight of massive talent, which I don't know. Maybe if it was being, if they had titled it instead of being Nicolas Cage, people might have come to see it, or it just didn't have a, a good enough marketing budget. I, I, I don't know how my, much of an impact it made on, on television. On. Here's the thing about the unbearable weight of massive talent. Mm-hmm. That's going to do fine when it comes to streaming. Yeah, it's a Lionsgate feature, so that'll go to whatever whoever the highest bidder is. It'll probably end up being on like Netflix or something. But that that's one of the that's one of those movies that people are interested in. Mm. but i don't know but you're clearly not, not enough to go to the theater for it yeah not enough to pay for what theaters are charging especially right. with inflation going up the way it is yeah uh every everything everywhere all at once which we will be reviewing when once it goes pvod uh with after yang apparently is, is like one of the better films of this year people are I raving it. about it um that dropped from four to six the lost city three to seven fathers two Five to eight, Morbius six to nine. Ooh. Speaking, speaking of movies that are Ooh. tanking, um, Ambulance seven to ten. Speaking of movies that are Ooh. tanking, and the Batman fell from eight to eleven. It is currently on HBO Max as of this past week. And, and again, to the point about the Batman, it's look, it didn't hit the billion dollar mark. Okay, you wanted it to clearly. It still did seven hundred and fifty million dollars. Yep, uh, Ecomo SL. Debut at number 12, Petite Maman, 17, The Duke, 19, Unplugging, 20, Take Me to the River, New Orleans, 28, Hit the Road, 29, Stanleyville, 33, and that is The weekend Worldwide. Speaking of The Batman, The Batman, uh, at $759 million is the number one movie in the world. 
Watergate Bridge, uh, which looks like it's a strictly almost a strictly foreign film. Yeah, that's remember that's the that's the follow up to the Battle of Lake. Uh, oh, it's the it's other Chinese propaganda film. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Uncharted, currently at three hundred ninety-two million, is yeah, in the that's petering spot. out. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog, shooting up the charts at two hundred eighty-nine million. Fantastic Beasts, currently at number five at two hundred eighty-one. Too cool to kill at number six. Nice view seven. Morbius like, eight. after number five, no one cares. Yeah, <laughs> like Scream. that's where we are just in the year right now. Like that's right. it's kind of a it's kind of a dumpster fire after that. So I so let's look at the calendar. Um, this weekend is a nothing weekend. Um, it's funny because like normally Friday night is my movie night, and I have you know very specific plans about about that. And it's like this is the first weekend where I don't have to go to the movies. There's nothing to see. It's almost all I, they, okay. The one wide release is an open roads film, which is again one of those like you know boutique studios. Yeah. Um, and it's memory, and it's Monica Bellucci, Liam Neeson, Guy Pierce, and Ray Stevenson. Yeah, no that's thanks. the kind of that's the kind of thing that appeals to me if I'm curious. But. Sure. Um, May six is Doctor Strange. Well, okay, okay, so hang on. Let's just for the. I I'm with you. I think Doctor Strange. I don't know that Doctor Strange is going to wind up being the number one movie of the year. Mm -hmm. um, I let me phrase it this way. I'm not making a prediction about that. I think Do I think there are. Go I've said this before about Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. This is going to come down to execution. It's for okay. its weekend is going to be gangbusters, no doubt about it. Here, here's the thing, and this is what you have to understand. It owns most of May. Here's why I say that. So it comes out May 6th, right? It has no other competition in its opening weekend. Its biggest competitor the following week is Firestarter, which is day and date on Peacock. You might as well not even count it. The following week, your biggest, your your hair, yeah. Um, well, I was on my calendar, but. So you so May thirteenth, your wide releases are Firestarter. You scroll Firestarter, which isn't even oh there it is okay oh, and it's saying it's in limited that's even better. So I'm, it's but, I'm calling a little bit of BS on that one, but yeah, it's day and date. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Um. Plus, I don't know how much people are going to be going to the theater to see a remake of a John Carpenter film a hundred years later. That's um, that is itself an adaptation of a Stephen King book. Yeah. Um. May twentieth. The biggest thing that weekend is Downton Abbey 2. That Look, might do it if we're hang on. That'll win its weekend. Yeah. But that's not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna upend Doctor Strange. You're talking oh, about two dude. different audiences. Okay, yeah, yeah. Hang on. That, that, sorry, that wasn't what I meant by that. I meant I mean that's going to Doctor Strange will take the top spot for two weeks and then Downton right. Abbey will unseat. It was what I was getting at. Yes. Did you did you see the trailer for men ahead of this movie? Ahead of the Northman? No. I was with that movie until the title came up and then I just laughed. <laughs> okay well that's in wide release no one's gonna go see it but it's in wide release may 27th is a little bit more competitive you have top gun maverick and you have bob's burgers yeah it's also for for people here in the south the last day of school um i think people you know people the last day of school that like, they'll go to the beach they'll go to the pool they might go to the movies they might go see bob's burgers top gun maverick appeals to men it I've... appeals to middle-aged men and i think I think there, I think men will come out for Top Gun. It'll win that weekend, and it'll cut somewhat into Doctor Strange. But I think by that point, Doctor Strange will have made shit tons of money to begin with. Well, look, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I think Top Gun might bomb. I, I, oh, I don't think so. I hang think, on, hang on. I hear think me, the men will me, keep that alive. Hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. Okay. 
It's going to win its weekend, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no problem buying that. But... <sighs> Can I tell you the really, like... I Rewatching the trailer, I got a really rough feeling about that movie, and I mean that in the following way. Okay. I think they're going to kill Tom Cruise at the end of that thing and try to have Miles Teller take his place. Here's the thing. I think they're doing, I think they're trying the soft reboot thing. And Mm -hmm. I think that's going to backfire catastrophically. It depends on the math. If everybody who's interested in seeing that movie comes out for an opening weekend and then is like it, you know, Top Gun Maverick sucked. I'm so disappointed. My, my, My expectations were subverted because they killed Tom Cruise. I don't know how much of that matters because everyone that was going to see the movie came out opening weekend anyway. And I don't okay. know how many more, I don't know how many more people would have, were coming after the fact and then won't now because Tom Cruise dies. Well, is what they heard. Look, the art again, my argument here is not that it's going to do poorly. It's opening weekend. My argument is your opening weekend is not going to make you profitable. No, but I, I guess, I guess that's the argument is that is that everyone is, Everyone's going to want to see this. We'll probably see it opening weekend. And then the stragglers. I think the stragglers will get it to profitable, but just barely. Um, yeah, again, depends I, on what the I've, budget is. I've kind of developed a hunch about that. I don't think that's going to do as well. I mean, look, if it had come out when it was originally supposed to three years after the original Top Gun. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different story, but I so, again, I, that's just a feeling I've developed about that. Okay, one. well, here's here's something to keep in mind. The following week, there's nothing. It's all limited releases. There's there's an untitled WB event film for June third, but I, I can't unless they announce something real real quick. Like I would say in the next week, I don't think I, I don't think anything shows up there. In which case, June third is a bye week for Top Gun Maverick, and then yeah. Jurassic World Dominion comes out, and oh. that's the end of that because then the following week Hang is Lightyear. Hang on. About Jurassic World Dominion. Yes. Yes. I saw the trailer again. Yeah. I cannot tell you how much I have come to loathe this trilogy of films. I, I get it. Uh, Lightyear probably makes a billion dollars and is definitely going to be number one. You know what? You know, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah. I'm going to make a bold prediction. <laughs> What's your bold prediction? There's only going to be one billion dollar movie all year. Doctor Strange? No. What? I, I, hang on. I don't know what. So l- l- let me rewind. Okay. I don't think we're getting more than one billion dollar movie all year. Well, I, I'm going to make a bold prediction that Doctor Strange makes a billion, Jurassic World makes a billion, Lightyear makes a billion. These I are did. all known, wildly enjoyed properties with nary a. Uh, and. A problem in the bunch and in 2019 you would have been right that's a valid argument we're living we're living in the post-pandemic movie world but i think these you know i i I talk to a lot of people who don't go to the movies regularly you know people outside of our our little sphere of of moviegoers and the things they'll tell me like i get a lot of i'm not going to the movies that's where you you know that's where the that's where the pandemic is and that's where the bullets are and I don't like to leave my house and I'm a nursing student and all I, and I'm busy and don't you understand? And the two things I've heard people say they'll, they'll leave their house for Top Gun Maverick and Jurassic world. Again, I'm not, this is not me declaring that they're going to like that. No one's mm-hmm. going to go see them. Yeah. But I, I just don't, do you know what it takes to make a billion dollar picture? 
Sure. You don't just again, you don't just need a good weekend. You need like six weeks. Right. Well, um, Spider Spider Man was the last one that did a billion. Look at the model for that. It that had high rewatchability. That it was a that was a massive audience poll with a known property concluding a trilogy. Um, also, you know, was part was part of a known uh, film IP that was highly successful, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it was an event picture because it incorporated the two previous Spider Men and a bunch of the villains from the previous movie. So it had a lot going for it. So people went, people went back to see it multiple times. Yeah, I I'm not saying Doctor Strange has no rewatch value. I'll have to see it before I can declare that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much rewatch value Jurassic World is going to have because I don't think that's going to be a well-made movie. No, but who cares? Um, it, kids like dinosaurs. I don't. I don't think Lightyear gets there. I think you're crazy. I think that I look. He, here's what. Here's the thing. I think if Lightyear were, wasn't going to be the crowd-pleasing film that it's going to be, that's you know sits Toy Story adjacent. They'd have pulled it already and put it on Disney Plus, like they did with Turning Red. I, they saw Turning Red coming, and they were like, "Nope, <laughs> off look, to Disney Plus, you go." I'm, I'm not calling Lightyear a bomb. I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to bomb at all. I don't think it hits a billion. We'll especially, see. hang on, especially not with the limited window. That thing's going to Disney Plus in what forty days? That's the usual window we're dealing well, with. Well, not now. only that, but I mean, look at look at how stacked June is because like June third's a bye week, but June tenth is Jurassic World. June seventeenth is Lightyear. We're, this is fucking November all over again. Yeah. June June twenty fourth is Elvis and the Black Phone, which okay, don't really cut into Lightyear. So for children's movies, that's a bye week. Um, which we are doing Elvis. We're just not doing Elvis that weekend. I'm gonna say I'm gonna save it for a week or two. No, we're doing we're doing the I think we're doing the black film that week. We're doing the black. I didn't want to do two Daniel Hollywoods in one week for a variety yeah, yeah. of reasons. So I so I've just booted Elvis to a bye week. Oh, but hey, um, and guess the, what? The next move, but the next week, look at what July minions. <laughs> fucking minions. Um, you got minions like, in July. If there okay, if there's a movie that's gonna hit a billion this year. It's going to be minions. You know sure. I'm right. Like and that thing that thing is not only an entry into a well-loved franchise. Mm-hmm. It's aimed at children. Yeah. And it has no problems and it comes from a studio that has no problems with China. Uh then you have speaking of China, you have Thor Love and Thunder. Oh, you want to you want to spend 2 minutes just screaming about that trailer? Sweet child of mine is a step down from immigrant song. <laughs> and I don't I don't hold immigrant song in high regard at all. Second, unless they actually have the balls to let Thor be a hero, I'm gonna hate that movie. Like it's yeah. gonna be Thor being a hippie and Tessa Thompson's one facial expression <laughs> and Natalie Portman's stunt doubles biceps. July 15th. So have you heard about Pause of Fury? Do you know what this is? It's a cartoon adaptation of Blazing Saddles with Sam- with with Animal Samurais. <laughs> That's the dumbest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> um the, no fucking joke. Read it read about it when I'm when we're done here. Um I'm waiting for it's Paramount Pictures. I am waiting for them to just make that day and date. My son th- like it appeals to my son. He's a boy. And he doesn't know what Blazing Saddles is. How about you just show your son Blazing Saddles? I might. Um, And then July 22nd is Under the 
the, the big one there is nope then bullet train and dc super pet speaking of things for children yeah, and then we're into the, august then the summer's over so, so um, again like if I'm getting into my prognosticator ball about what well, I don't think we have multiple billion dollar pictures this year, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not saying that's never going to happen again. I don't think it happens for the next, I don't think we're going to get it this year. The and only reason, I, the only reason why I'm kind of with you is because in two years, two to three years from, from 2019 was the highest grossing year total for the motion picture industry. We had at least ten pictures make a billion dollars. Yeah, um, and in one case, like almost three billion, or or it went over three billion. I can't remember how much Endgame made. Whatever, yeah, but it was it one was... Of, one of the highest grossing films of all time. Right. Um, pandemic happens. The forty-five window day and date becomes a thing, and then forty-five day windows start. And that's a conversation that often that I often have with people is I'll say, oh, hey, such and such movies in the theaters. Great. When's it coming on streaming? Because I'm not leaving my house for this. That's a very so the Venn diagram. Thing. Well, the Venn diagram looks like is this does this movie get people out of their house or, do, or is this movie something that they're willing to wait to watch at home? Like how many movies are people chomping at the bit for that they can't wait 45 days? And I'll tell you, a not a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, yeah. the reason, that's why I said, like, I think I, I think Doctor Strange is one of those where people are people want to see the X-Men. They're dying to see the X-Men. They want to see, you know, character right now. The most popular trope in movies is characters from other movies in your stupid movie. Yep. Um, so there's that. And then I think Lightyear makes a billion just because of the Toy Story I, thing. I Look, I think Toy Story lost a lot of cachet with Toy Story 4. No argument. And they're making a big deal about the uh, the gay guys kissing. I and guarantee I, you they'll cut that out to get it into China. Oh, for China, absolutely. Like that that's yeah. that, that doesn't make it into the cut of the Chinese film at but all. But if your if your argument is fa- families won't take their children to see There's... it because, because it, I mean that I had forgotten about that 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 changes the math. The, uh, look, there's a contingent. I'm not saying all of them, mm-hmm. but. And here's here's what really kills it. They chose to make a big deal out of this. Like Disney, you didn't Disney, have you Disney you such a as confused company. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're not kidding, man. Like they made a big deal. They're making a big deal about pushing that. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of rather there not be sexual content at all in your children's movie. Call me crazy. Fair argument. Disney right now is coming across like a middle-aged woman struggling with whether or not she can reconcile with her husband or continue to bang randos. Like it, 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 it really very is. odd, very odd <laughs> metaphor, but I get where you're coming from. Leave me alone and leave me to my metaphors that may or may not reflect the real life. I'm, you know, situation in my world. In any case. <laughs> <laughs> so, but <laughs> next week on divorce cast, <laughs> not that particular woman in my life um no disney just seems very conflicted and i I use that metaphor one because i needed to poke fun at somebody but also because it really does feel like on the one hand we want the cachet and the appreciation of we want we want the positive social media engagement that comes from this 
that comes from gay inclusion, but we want the money that comes from the rest of the known universe that doesn't accept the LGBTQ community. Look, well, I am I'm an ally. <laughs> I me and Effie are best friends. Paro liked <laughs> one of my videos. He's my second bestie. Uh, this isn't coming from me, Mark Rattlitz, but I live in this world and I pay attention to stuff. And while there are enclaves of the Western world that are pro-LGBTQ, there are greater majorities of the rest of the world that aren't. Well, and, and look, there's also a discussion to be had about what is appropriate for the age demographics you're aiming at. You, you know, you... Though, you're, you're going to tap into something and I'm going to tell you right now. There's an entire, at least within within North American culture, there is an entire contingent of people that would argue till they are blue in the face and drop dead and drop dead in front of you that sh keeping kids away from sexual content related to LGBTQ is wrong. I'm just I'm not making that argument. Look, I'm saying I, the argument is out no, no. there. I, I understand the arguments out there. I'd be happy to argue with those people and let them asphyxiate themselves. <laughs> Look, again, I, I'm not entirely sure I would be comfortable with uh, any kind of overtly. I'd say that you know, kissing is overtly sexual, but you know what I mean. Like, I mean, they're, it they're, is. Yeah, like it's weird to say it that way, but it is. <laughs> I mean, look, look, the the um, kind of the right way to do this, and this is irrespective of alignment uh, of mm -hmm. your orientation. If you're making a kids' movie, you have to do the Woody and Bo Peep thing. Like, there's something here. There's clearly chemistry, and we leave it at that. There is like an that, 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 and again, that's what you have to do when you're making right. a kids movie. I, and I don't disagree with you, but I'm 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 just sitting here thinking, like in terms of devil devil's advocacy, about the push to normalize alternative lifestyles in all facets of media. And I don't totally disagree with that point of view, because I, this is. Uh, I, I go through. I work in a very conservative environment. I work with law enforcement, and they have a they have a very conservative philosophical standpoint. And while they are they they can be accepting, they still they still shy away from like a full embracing of normalization of things that they are in turn not tremendously comfortable with. They tend to have a live and they, they tend to have thrown their hands up and have a live and let live uh, approach to things, but you can tell there's still a lot of discomfort and look, I'm not here to, I'm not here to have that conversation. What I do want to say is there, I think from a, from a from a larger philosophical standpoint, there is more to gain from normalization than not. And I say that because to keep things as all, you know, strictly alternative begets a lot of prejudice prejudice then begets violence and that is a very general statement that i've made like yeah Yoda. but you know and, and and you could probably pick it apart with 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 well, detailed arguments I, but i standing on. back from a hundred yards that's what i'm saying for the record i absolutely could pick that apart but i understand that you're making a very very broad claim yeah consequently it's not worth debating in that on that level in this right. instance but my, again, my point is just you decided to court this controversy. Mm. 
Well, I think Disney needs to pick going... a side. Pick a side, Disney. Either, either, either go full on embracing LGBTQ and go get that Hollywood clout, and, and accept and, that, and, and accept that you're going to lose a lot of money. Yeah, and and then and take your and then take your punishment. Sorry, the world. Sorry, we're still living in ni- the ni- The large portion of the known world is living in the 1950s. Fuck off, Disney. <laughs> well, <laughs> live and let dude, live with it, Disney. That's not the way the world is going. Dude, the backlash that they got over their presentation about their kids' content. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I'm a fairly conservative guy. I, mm-hmm. I'm not political. I'm not affiliated with any political organization because I have a variety of reasons for that. But my general leaning is more right. Sure. Um, even I was surprised at the virulent backlash they got. Mm-hmm. Like, and then I saw how they presented it. Was it and was it, I, was it, I, and it, at that, hang on, at that point, I went, I threw, I had to throw my hands up in the air and go, Disney, what did you expect? Yeah. What was it we were talking about? Maybe a show or two ago where um, we were discussing that people have lost faith in the Disney brand that yep. it's safe to put in front of their kids. And look, yep. I haven't, but. I also tend to be more progressive than conservative. I also look, I also talk. play the Wu Tang clan in front of my kids. So I'm not a good judge, you know, good person to base this on. I Most mean, I, people look five minutes ahead. ago I said you should show your kid bla- your eight-year-old blazing saddles and <laughs> <laughs> fair. Um my, my point is we were the, the conversation was sort of revolving around the idea of the parent feeling safe to put their kid in front of something yep. without having to worry about the content. You know, it's the yep. Pat Oswalt thing. I got to get these towels in the wash. I need something to, I need a screen to babysit my child. What's the safest thing? It used to be Disney. It's yep. not anymore. And a lot of people are struggling with that. And I don't want to get in. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole into, you know, do we or do we well, not hey, normalize? Look, none, of us, none of us are passing moral judgment on no. the state of reality at the moment. No, but that but, is reality. But, but right. And, and now there's a conversation to be had about what does Disney... I think internally, when I say that internally, I think Disney has to figure out what its identity wants to be, because I'll tell you who's not having this problem. The fucking people that run illumination, you know, you want to know the problem. Here's the real problem. Disney's having, Mm -hmm. they're trying to serve the liberal Twitter mob in the United States. Sure. And also acknowledging that they can't be profitable without China. (laughs) Who is anything, but right. So like, the last thing I want to say on this, because this, the money segment has gone way too long now. Yeah. We still have a whole other segment to do. Oh, and we're over again, like my, this, uh, this movie that should have been a really a 90 minute flat review is now going to go three hours because you and I can't shut the fuck up when we talk to each other. Well, look, look, we talked to, again. I like I think that's a big thing that's going to hold light your back. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how we arrived at this discussion. Yeah. And that's just again, I'm not passing moral judgment on either side of this particular argument. Mm hmm. If you're not comfortable with your kids seeing that, fine. They're your kids, and prov- yeah, and I, and I don't consider I don't consider ruling on your children seeing Lightyear to rise to the level of to rise to some standard of child abuse. Well, that and it's also not a civil rights thing either. You know, that's it because again, we run in different circles, and there, I know a lot of people in in the LGBTQI community, and they get so angry that people just won't like accept the community as it is 
love it as it is, expose their children to it, and just sort of move into the 21st century. They just they're just so mad about it, <laughs> and they, they won't they they get frustrated that for every step that is taken in normalization, there are two steps back. You know, for every victory they have, there's a don't say gay bill. And oh, you know and that's I, I, not I, what that thing says. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why Harry put this up here. Life is like a game show will now be seen on Friday. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna be going until then. Oh yeah, sure. All right. Well, for Harry's sake, I guess we'll move on then. Um, so uh, hang on. So the last mm-hmm. thing I wanted to say about again, busting out my prognosticator. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think Lightyear hits a billion. Yeah. I just don't. I think it'll be I think it will be financially successful. I'm not calling yeah. it a bomb, but it's not gonna get to a billion. I don't think Thor Love and Thunder hits a billion. I, I don't think so either. I, I think it's I, too niche of a I, film. I, Plus, again, it's good, it's gonna be fine financially. Like again, I'm not saying bomb. No, I think it does between five and seven fifty. I don't think it goes more north in that range, yeah, probably. But I think but I but I, I think I think you get the hardcore Marvel people and he, and I think you get the date, you know, the, the date crowd that still think Marvel's a hip thing to go watch. Um, I think you get the crowd that thinks Chris Hemsworth's a, a pretty man. I think you've lost the comic book people, though, with that one. I, the minute they decided to do Natalie Portman Thor, that was the fucking end of that movie. I, I don't think they fully appreciated the multiple hornet nests. They yeah. walked into with that. I don't think they. I yeah. think they thought, "Hey, she was there's a femme Thor in the comics. Yep, let's put her on screen. We can get Natalie Portman back because she'll work with Taika Waititi. We'll turn Thor into a peace loving hippie, and continue to have him do nothing in his own movies. We'll drench it in crappy music. It'll be very brightly colored, and." will insinuate that Thor and Star-Lord are now a couple. And this will work! Yeah. Yeah, this won't turn yeah, off your core fan base at all. Yeah, I, I don't think that thing hits That said, I'm probably going to love it. I, I'll probably think it's my favorite movie. I, year, but you know look, me. <laughs> I, I expect to hate that movie. Yep. I really do. Yep. Um, but I might not. Um, given... My expecting to hate that movie is not just based on Taika Waititi being part of it. It's more the talking points that came out when they were doing the press tour and whatnot. When he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, everyone loved the stupid humor in Ragnarok. So we're doing more of that. Yeah, we're going to double down. All right. Oh, um, OK. <laughs> last thing. Oh, my I, God. <laughs> hey, no, no, seriously, last thing. Because it's the last thing of the year. I don't think Avatar 2 makes a billion dollars. We'll see. You know, it, I think... The, the reason why, well, the reason why Avatar did as well as it did, and I talked about this with the Harry Potter thing, was disconnected, disaffected, untethered people found, finding the Avatar universe to be a place they wanted to live because they couldn't handle reality. If they can recreate that with an entirely I... new generation of disaffected Twitter people, it'll it'll do it. It'll make its money. If they can't recreate that particular social psycho dynamic, then no. Yeah, here's the thing about... Here's why I think that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. There's too many other ways to escape reality. Yeah. And we are, what, at least 10 years after the craze of the first one? Mm-hmm. So you're way past your sell-by date. You're entering into a completely different kind of, again, social climate. 
and you're competing against a bunch of other properties doing what you do, but with story. Yeah. I don't think it, I, I just, look, it's going to make money depending on how stupid the budget is. Like, well, let me, as much as James Cameron is going to spend on that thing, maybe not, but that, I don't think that hits a billion. I just don't. All right. With that said, bop, bop, bop. And now we have the critical review. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 The critical review is brought to you by Grammarly. Grammarly's yeah, that's about out. right. <laughs> Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and testing style improvements. So download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. And as you can see with your eyes, um, the critics gave it an 89%, relatively high. They didn't hate it, obviously. The audience probably didn't know what to do. Knew they were watching a good movie, but didn't quite know what to make of it. So they came in at 67 with a thousand plus verified ratings. A bloody revenge epic as breathtaking visual marvel. The Northman finds filmmaker Robert Eggers expending his scope without sacrificing any of his signature style. I would agree with that. All right. Oh, just for the record, this is utterly unrelated to anything, but as a guy who's been rereading Berserk, there's a couple of things in here that uh, I couldn't help but notice the parallels. All right. Uh, Joe Lipson of Horror Queers Podcast. Can, can I just now... <laughs> Horror Queers Podcast? What do they got that we ain't got? Well, <laughs> do I have to say it? <laughs> Listeners. Um, <laughs> God damn. I find that just to be insulting. How are we, an institution of the podcast universe, the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network, and we can't get on Rotten Tomatoes, but the horror queers podcast can? We don't. We do not pander to a particular demographic to try and get our audience. Fair enough. A sublime tackle feat with no emotional core says oh, horror get queers. Bad. Says horror queers podcast. Eggers doesn't offer anything new or subversive to the Hamlet tale, including its discussion on masculinity. Skarsgård feels miscast, or perhaps Anleth is just boring, says the Horror Queers podcast, Joe Lipson. Okay, no one should be listening to this idiot. Yeah. If you can't appreciate the emotional core of this movie, you are disconnected from reality. Second, if, you can't, if your take on a film is, well, I really need subversive stuff in here, I weep for, your, for what you do. Like, that should yeah. never be what you want out of a film. Uh, Tim Brayton of alternate ending. It's all very bleak and cruel and stylistically intoxicating. This is not, I saw this again. I don't think this movie is nearly as bleak as most people seem to think. Like it's, it's cruel. Yes. It was a very barbaric time in human history. That doesn't mean bleak though. Those, those are not synonyms. Um, I'm a little bit, again, there's a lot of people who have arrived at that conclusion, and I just, I thoroughly disagree. Uh, Carl DeLosantos of Smash Cut Reviews. 
Where the movie goes south is in its narrative and characters. Beneath the twisting Scandinavian folklore is a simple and familiar revenge story that never gives us re real reason to care. I mean, apart from the fact that you're investing time into it, sure. Like, uh, these people have no concept of what a good revenge story is. I, I think that's a lost art. Like that, that we, we talk a little bit on occasion about like genre types, you know, types of stories that are a lost art. You know, the coming of age story is a bit of a lost uh, art. Mm -hmm. I think the revenge story is a little bit lost these days. Uh, Susan Granger of SSG Syndicate. Savage, supernatural, and often silly. Robert Eggers' intense Nordic nightmare is filled with brawling, bloody brutality. There's now, nothing silly about this movie. That's why I read that one. I was like, this movie is a lot of things. Silly okay. ain't one. You know what it is with these people? I'm, I'm fairly convinced of this. These people are so steeped in their own metaphysical worldview mm -hmm. that they refuse to accept that the magic sword only being drawn at night is not silly. No, that's part of the magic of the sword. They they just they they look at things that they cannot rationally explain and then have to go, well, that's silly rather than accepting that in this variation on reality. No, the gods are real. Magic's real. Right. Hey, guess what? Deal with it. And if you can't, because I believe in science, well, you're the, then your only conclusion is to think that something serious is something silly. And that's on you for not being able to adapt how you view media. Uh, a few more of these, because in my world, it's after midnight. Uh, we got a late start tonight, and we went really, really long. But hey, Robert and I haven't had a chance to just talk one-on-one -on -one to each other. So this is kind of like a kind of like a little catching up that we, we're doing here. Um, people are going to be like, what the fuck did they talk about for two and a half hours? <laughs> everything. Life, the a universe, A little everything. bit of everything, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's good. We have You and I, I'm going to look at you when I say this, with, with longing in my eyes and lust in my heart. I would rather at least one of those not be there. <laughs> you and I have not had a good Mark and Robert Gab session in a while. That's so, true. I, you know, it's weird that it happened with this movie. Maybe not. It could only happen with this movie. I believe you, but I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm glad it happened. I think I think I think we needed it. I think we both needed oh, okay. it. Oh, okay, okay. It, it, it might it might happen with the black phone too, but yeah, we'll see. Um, anyway, Emily Wheeler of Emily Wheeler Movie Ops, a beautiful, bloody, empty shell. There again, <laughs> the people who are unwilling or unable to engage with the emotional core of this movie that says so much about them as people. If you are not aware of the darkest impulses that exist within you and can be brought to bear, then you're gonna look at this and go, Well, I don't get it. It's he's just an angry rage monster swinging weapons and that's not what this movie is but you're Adam, also one of those people who thinks well there's no way i could have possibly joined the national socialist party if i were my age in germany in the 1920s oh, this but one's you good. you would have frank wilkins of real reviews think you know what a viking is you have no idea how is that helpful <laughs> He gave it a positive review. Like, he gave it a great score and everything. But why is that your burner? Like, why is that your stinger? Like, who thought that was the correct thing? Thelma Adams of AARP Movies for Grown Ups. Oh, God. <laughs> How does that reading. exist? I love reading those. Um, Eggers, 
miscast moody turn of the 10th century action adventure seems late to the Norse feast despite or perhaps because of its over-serious intentions. I I do not understand the miscasting argument here. I yeah, just neither don't do I. Like that. Uh, this one's even better. Piers Marchin of Arkansas, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. The film feels oddly flat, mitigated as it is by the cross purposes of its creator and the studio that backed it. Okay, you're reading way too much into the backstory of this movie. Um, no. I want to find somebody who's like, my problem with this movie is not enough black folk. <laughs> you probably can't find... Well, hang on, there's Slate. That might do it. Or The New Yorker. <laughs> um, Richard Brody of New Yorker, top critic. Instead of the roots of Shakespeare's play, The Northman merely serves up its raw material both half-baked and overcooked. Wah, 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 wah. You know... I'm not saying that it's inappropriate to draw comparisons between this and Hamlet. I'm really not. But you are really reaching if you expected this to be a one an adaptation of Hamlet. It is not. Uh, one or two more, and then I think we're done here. Um, Frank Switek of One Guy's Opinion. Because, of course. A visually entertaining evocation of a distant world, blending history and myth in a composite of wash and bloodshed and butchery, yet strangely, strangely intoxicating even in its excesses, yet dramatically it leaves something to be desired. Uh, again, like, if you can't see the pure drama going on in certain scenes in this, I can't help you, man. You're, just, you're a lost cause. Come on, Kevin Carr, where are you? He didn't go see it. Why would he? Jeffrey Harris of 401mania.com. Hey, Jeff. The Northman is an... Has he been on your show lately? Have you told him I keep reading his reviews? Uh, if he listens, I think he listens to Damn You Hollywood on occasion. So, okay. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. The Northman is an excellent, unflinching, and immersive vision from filmmaker Robert Eggers. I agree. He's correct. Good job, Jeff. <laughs> you, you've gotten out of this review being unbeaten by me. <laughs> <laughs> keep it up. Um, Boy, you couldn't you couldn't find anyone that you normally point me at. You couldn't find any of my theoretical extended family. Yeah, I mean, I'm at this point. I'm just looking for people. I'm not even looking at whether or not it's um, uh, rotten or fresh. At this point, I'm tempted to say let's go to the audience reviews because those idiots. <laughs> Jeff York of the establishing shot. More of Olga's strong character and less of the bellicose brutality oh, of the male get one. Bent. Jesus no, wait, wait, wait. This is the okay. This is what we're ending with because I don't think it's getting any better than this. Jeff York of the establishing shot. Let me read the whole thing. Okay. More of Olga's strong character and less of the bellicose brutality of the male ones would have helped Eggers in his critique of toxic masculinity. Instead, his savaging of machismo is dampened by all the savagery he insists on splattering across the screen. If you think this movie is about, I'll throw air quotes around this, toxic masculinity, you're an idiot. <laughs> At what point did masculinity have the... Mark, have we ever had the market cornered on revenge that ever <laughs> been an exclusively male thing? Hey, remember remember, Pretty Young Woman or whatever or, or whatever the hell the name of the movie was where it's an entirely... Young Woman? That's the one about the revenge fantasy movie about the woman who, you know, uh, get, <laughs> traps traps guys into thinking that they're, they're, they're getting to rape her and then they don't and then it ends with uh, her getting the rich guy uh, it is the, arrested. That it is one? The, that is the worst rape and revenge fantasy story I've ever seen. It's, it's, it's really awful. bad. And it, it, it got nominated for an Oscar. 
Yeah, again, nominated for Best Picture. As though the Oscars had any credibility left to burn. More importantly, again, you virtue signaling dickhead. (laughs) Show me more of the strong female character. Why? Why? Yeah, Olga's not a bad character. It's not me knocking the writing of that character or or Anna Taylor-Joy's acting. None of it. Absolutely none of it. And I and I would I look the one thing I do agree with yes more of Anna jo- Anna Taylor Joy's naked ass but you look, were saying you were just disappointed by the lack of frontal nudity you're not wrong you sad sad man I hang on screw you <laughs> it is it is not sad to be attracted to another person. I w- I am attracted to her. She is an attractive gal. It's a little bit sad to go into the movies featuring her going, boy, I sure hope I see boobs. When you no, have... wait a minute. When, That's hang why on. I went into that movie. Don't pre- okay, Listen, okay. Melissa, don't put words in my mouth. Okay, let me rephrase. <laughs> Thank you. You have the internet. Save yourself the aggravation of trying to get an actress to flash you. <laughs> okay. All I was trying to say was... <laughs> What <laughs> was if you're going to say you should put more of Anna Taylor Joy on screen, you should because you can see more of her naked body. That was but he it. couldn't he couldn't say that because then he's not virtue signaling that I like right. strong that he, please step on me like that. That's all he's saying right there. <laughs> I like str- strong female characters that don't need no man in Viking times. It's it's so so stupid. Yeah. All right. Um. I'm trying to see if there's a, one that's going to get any better than that. And A, I'm not seeing any of our good people, and I'm not seeing anything. Uh, I don't know. Mike Massey, Gone with the Twins. Fucking hate you people. <laughs> this. <laughs> it, it, this this amuses me to no end, that it's the outlets or the websites that some of these people that Mark goes, how? <laughs> how are you here? Yeah. There's mild satisfaction to be found in some of the destructive confrontations with plenty of dawdling via bewildering rites and rituals that eat up screen time, sapping opportunities for more thrilling Viking exploits. Because God forbid we create a world for yeah. your audience, audience to live in. I hey, go. Peter DeBruge of Variety. There, last there we go. I saw, <laughs> hey, here yeah. we go. Here we go. You <laughs> Load up the th- guns, Robert. <laughs> you, you're right for that. You're right for glorified toilet paper, sir. <laughs> Peter DeBruge of Variety, top critic. It's ultimately rather dull and hardly fun. Variety, everybody. The supreme arbiters of fun and the espousers of the belief that film exists only to be fun. And if you don't agree with their definition of fun, well, screw you. You're probably an istophobe. All right. Next week. Yeah, um, just go play in traffic. Seriously. Next, next week, Samuel Hollywood's going to be loaded. We're going to have Ethan and Damien, I believe, from Talk the Keki. Uh, along with David Wright. So they'll actually be for the first time on Damn You Hollywood, I think ever. Uh, we'll have five people on yeah, if everyone shows up. And we're going to be doing a split one um, Bubble and Bell. Bell will actually be PVOD on the day that we're doing this. Um, but uh, David said he actually had already seen it in the movie. So he's, on, he's already on board here. But oh. that's May 3rd. Uh, Bubble will have just been on Netflix the prior Friday. And <laughs> Bell will be PVOD Tuesday the 3rd. And we will be reviewing both at night. That's Damn You Hollywood for May 3rd. May 10th is Doctor Strange. And it'll be the same for Marvel idiots that are always on these shows. Myself, David, Alexis, and Robert. Um, and I'm sure that will also go over two and a half hours because fuck my life. Um, well, but, but Mark, don't you understand? We have to talk about 
all the X-Men and all the yes. fan theory. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I'm, you know, sub, I'm changing the subtitle of this movie. It's now Doctor Strange and the uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Fan Service. So that's for you, by the way. Um. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um. I've, I've got I've got a few specific insults I'm saving for when we find a few different guys. Like I, I've got a few that I'm still saving that should be a little bit less vulgar. So. You, because of your own mental health issues and, and feelings of uh, disengagement, untetheredness with the world, walked off the podcast of the Batman momentarily because I said I liked a movie. Hang um, on, hang on, <laughs> hang on. Okay, stop, strike, rewind. I did a bit. <laughs> okay. okay. I Look, look. I knew you and Andrew wanted to gush. Mm-hmm. I knew I had no place in that because I was not going to gush about the movie. I was not going to contribute anything meaningful. So I can sit here looking like an mm. idiot or I can do a bit. Yeah. I'll well do you, a bit. You did a bit. That's fine. I may be the one doing a bit on Dr. Strange. <laughs> okay. Because David will be okay. Alexis, God bless her is one of those people who likes, and, and there's nothing wrong with this. It's just, it's just not my thing. Alexis is going to be one of those people who's going to want to bathe in the fan theory. And that's going to be all she's going to want to talk about. And she's going to want to, and she's in like Ghostbusters. She's going to want to talk about how excited she was with all the, you know, with all the uh, cameo appearances. It's going to make me want to eat a gun, but because I don't want to go through the hard feelings that Ghostbusters produced at the time. I may just have to do you and go, I'm going to get a sandwich and go and just walk off the podcast. Look, here's the look. The reason that worked for me is because these are wireless. So <laughs> while, while you did have to mute me briefly, I could hear you the whole time. So as soon as you and Andrew were like, well, if Robert ever shows back up, we can start the show. I was back here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I feel like Dr. Strange. I'm going to, I'm not in the same mental place I was with Ghostbusters. So I don't think it'll be that bad. But I have a sneaking suspicion I'm going to struggle with that show. You know, the fact that you and I have both, for very different reasons, become as disenfranchised with the MCU as we are should say mm -hmm. a lot about that property. It really should. Anyway, uh, finishing up the month of May, we've got Firestarter on seven on the 17th. Downton Abbey uh, is just going to be me and I think David. I think you're you're sitting out that one, yeah? You do not want me on that show. Right, so that'll just be me and David, and I think my <laughs> wife. My wife allegedly is threatening to do that show, too. We'll see what happens. She may have a date that night. Who the hell knows? Um, <laughs> oops. Anyway, um, the, other, the other one is Everything Everywhere All at Once and After Yang, and that'll be May 31st. So uh, that's all the damn you Hollywood coming up. As far as what we're doing this week, uh, no show yesterday. Uh, Evan, Superblock team got postponed. Evan had to cancel because he had troubles. Um, so there was no show Monday night, but we did have a re airing of our Huntsman, the Winter's War review. <laughs> I got to listen to it. It was fun. So the, the thing itself was fun. Tomorrow. Well, uh, look, us tearing that thing apart was a good time. Tomorrow we have Lordy, Spooky, Sex Extravaganza, Spectacular. And then. And then Thursday is myself and Patrick Mullen talking about how I met your father. Um, the, a show so dumb, even my wife didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> put it on a t-shirt. Put it on a t-shirt, Dan. 
Um, April 29th, uh, there's going to be an unspoken issues for Daredevil 321. And then Saturday, we have our trip to trivia for Wizards and Magic. And then in the evening time, um, myself and Dan Lasby will be doing Oscar Valdez versus Shakur Stevenson. So that's what I got. Robert, what do you got? Uh, I got two to one that Mark winds up canceling Oscar Valdez versus Shakur Stevenson live commentary. <laughs> I'm not going to the sex club that night. We should be fine. You say that now. <laughs> Good point. Uh, again, you've been you've been pulling back on a lot of those, and that's an easy one to pass. That's all I'm saying. My thing that I'm going to with Melissa is from seven to I think nine, seven to ten. If so, unless like people are like come on, let's take the party elsewhere. I'm coming home and I'm doing the fight. That's my plan. <laughs> all right. We'll see what happens. I promise nothing. I'm still apologizing. Uh, I'm still apologizing to Dan about the uh, about the Errol Spence fight, which I have not watched. Good fight. Spent eighty bucks on it. You, if you spent the money, you really should watch it. I'm gonna try. I'm busy these days, sir. You are. Uh, tell you what. Next time you hop on a stationary bike or whatnot, you should just have it on your tablet. Fair enough. Uh, right, as for myself, I cover professional wrestling and mixed martial arts for 411mania.com. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW stuff on Wednesday slash Thursday. It's going to be Thursday this week. And WWE Smackdown on Friday. So feel free to come by and get my opinions on professional wrestling if you're so inclined. Uh, this week for MLW, it's actually their named event. We're getting Intimidation Games, so... It's a hastily thrown together triple threat for the world heavyweight title because, well, the parks got fired, so we can't get Jacob Fatu versus L.A. Park again. <laughs> Not a joke. All three of them got the axe for uh, apparently they got a little bit too stiff. Really? Yeah. No, no joke. Like, they did a run-in at one point on something and got stiff with Fatu and Hammerstone. Okay. And... The people in charge weren't having it, so L.A. Park, uh, Eel Day L.A. Park, and L.A. Park Jr., they are gone from MLW. All right. So I will be covering Intimidation Games on Thursday. Should be a good time. And I cover the UFC events on Saturday. So this last Saturday was UFC on ESPN Plus 63. Not a great card on paper. Produced some very good finishes. We were overdue for one of those. This week will be... This week will be UFC on ESPN 30 thing. 35. Headlined by Rob Font versus Marlon Vera. It's a darn good bantamweight fight. Um, if you want my full thoughts on that card in its entirety, please check out the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I record that Sunday evening, so late Sunday evening or Monday morning, I can... The dulcet tones of me talking about combat sports can get you into work in the morning if you're so again if that is something you're interested in. All right, folks, thank you for listening to Robert and I um, embrace each other once more and spend at least twenty minutes talking about the Northmen. <laughs> we spent a fair chunk of time talking about it. We dude, this is two two hours and thirty five minutes. We're longer than the movie. You know, how long we have not had a review go longer than the movie for at least four weeks. I'm proud of us. Yeah. I think we needed this. We needed to reconnect. I've, I have felt 
disconnected from you. And I okay. feel like tonight we work towards reconnecting with uh, each the, other. The Northman was the equivalent of the sex club. <laughs> <laughs> it's not getting any better than that. Good night, everybody. <laughs>